0: G Force, a kaiju podcast. How about humanitarian environmental
1: analysis
0: team? Yes, Dr. Neek, we miss you ever so much. What tongue language? You want to talk pH levels? We got them. Low,
2: no, low. No, no. So low? Very insane.
0: I
3: should have eliminated Godzilla long ago.
0: And now, your hosts. One is me.
1: And the other
0: is... Nigel! Nick and Andrew. Hello, and welcome to G-Force, a kaiju podcast, the show where a rotating roundtable of kaiju enthusiasts gather to discuss all things kaiju. And today we reach a very special point in our coverage of 1998's Godzilla the series, an epic event within the show's run. But before we get there, I'm one of your hosts, Andrew. And with me is your other host. Hey, it's Nick. And joining us tonight, we have... Hey, this is James. This is Parker. And this is Brendan. And tonight we are kicking things off with the major event crossover of the series, Monster Wars parts one through three, or Monster Battle parts one to three in Japan. Godzilla,
3: attack! What's wrong?
0: I'm only his adopted father, remember? Looks like he just dumped me for his birth mother. Part one was written by Eisenberg and Skier, the series head writers who also wrote the pilot. Stephen Melching, who previously wrote Cat and Mouse with the Giant Rats, wrote part two. And Michael Reeves, who appropriately enough was the writer of the episode Leviathan, wrote part three.
4: I would have assumed that they would have all been written by the same person. That's interesting. Yeah, me too. yeah
2: same. But, uh, Impressive intercontinuity then. Maybe they yeah. wrote them all at the same time just to save time. I know in sitcoms, at least, usually it's like the
1: writer's room, like all does the story together, and then they just pick one guy to go actually type the script. That makes sense. So I don't know if they do that here as well.
0: In these episodes, a foraging Godzilla nearly drowns the crew of a fishing vessel. And when Nick does his usual stern parent routine, Godzilla seems resistant. Meanwhile, Craven picks up new tachyon transmissions, indicating the presence of the titular aliens in New Jersey. At the same time, the team is on edge, nearly at each other's throats. And in Nigeria, a flying mutation begins threatening local farmers' herds. Pete's tracing of the tachyon signals leads them to Sandy Point Military Base, which they just straight up invade when the guards won't let them in. There, they find the Leviathan spacecraft being researched by Hicks and the military with Elsie's help. Hoffman and Sopler, the survivors of the Proloran expedition, are also a part of the research team, clearly still under alien influence, known only to the audience. Nick is angry that Elsie would help exploit this technology that he believes is dangerous, that they had all agreed to leave at the bottom of the ocean floor, over the argument, Elsie quits heat, and shortly, under the influence of Hoffman and Soppler, the entire team splits up. Nick travels to Nigeria to investigate a giant bat mutation, and when it attacks, Godzilla arrives to battle it as usual. Randy and Monique show up to help, and the bat is called off when Hoffman and Soppler take mental control of it. Reuniting with Kraven, Nick manages to figure out that Soppler is the common denominator to their tension figuring that perhaps the Tachyons did manage to influence him previously. But the good doctor is busy, having moved all the Tachyon tech to site Omega and summoning other monsters that they have taken control of, including the C-Rex, El Gusano, a giant rat, and the Queen Bee. In the second part, Monique and Randy are continuing to pursue the giant bat, and a seeming rescue by Godzilla turns out to be an appearance of a hostile cryptoclytus instead. Under attack from both creatures, they manage to provoke the two into fighting each other and escape. However, both monsters are soon called off toward an island in the South Pacific by mental summons. Meanwhile, Nick and Craven attempt to sneak back into Sandy Point using a mobilized eye unit from Nigel as a spy camp. There, they see that Elsie and the rest of the military are all under Hoffman and Sopler's mental control. When Nick goes in to get Elsie out, the two make a shocking discovery. Cyberzilla, a cyborg created from the remains of the 1998 Godzilla. When Soppler sticks the cyborg on them, Godzilla arrives to defend Nick, but recognizing its parent, Godzilla's loyalties are divided. With the Site Omega machinery aiding the shift in devotion, Godzilla comes under the tachyon's control. Nick and Craven flee following the tachyon signals to the same island that Randy and Monique are tracking the mutations to. The Tachyon-controlled military intercept the Heat Seeker, and Monique and Randy slip off in scuba gear, riding Cryptoclitus to the island. Slipping inland, they discover the Tachyon Transmitter, and Hoffman and Soppler nearly complete in their physical transformation into Tachyon aliens. This island is Site Omega. Nick and Craven arrive, as do both Godzillas, and Godzilla comes face to face with a number of old foes, including King Cobra, Queen Bee, and El Gusano, But the Tachyon Pulses keep the monsters from fighting amongst themselves. Both Heat Team halves are reunited and captured, brought before the now completely transformed Tachyon aliens. And before their horrified eyes, the various mutations are unleashed in major cities across the world to soften them up for the forthcoming Tachyon invasion. In Part 3, helpless to stop the invasion, the Heat Team is taken away to be imprisoned theorizing that the Tachyon signals are being routed through the alien's home planet, meaning that a loss of interstellar signal will cut off their control of the monsters here on Earth. Staging a jailbreak, the team manages to free Elsie and jam the Tachyon transmissions, but the invasion force has already arrived. The mutations begin to flee the military until the military is destroyed by the attacking Leviathan ships. Only Godzilla puts up a fight, attacking the vessels, and is seemingly destroyed fleeing into the jungle under laser fire. Heat regroups and plans to further sabotage Site Omega. Elsie risks delving back into the alien memories in her mind, using the knowledge they placed in her at the possible cost of falling back under their control. The sabotage is successful, taking out the aliens' facility, and they are rescued from a firing squad by the timely return of the giant Bat in full battle with the Tachyon's ships. It seems the mutations perceive the alien invaders as threats to their territory, taking Godzilla's lead and attacking the invading ships with full force. The physical tachyons can't survive in Earth's atmosphere, which is why they require the download and transformation of human hosts, which is good news. But the alien's weaponry and the power of Cyberzilla proves more than sufficient to quell the mutation's revolt. So it seems that they will have plenty of time to perform those takeovers. When Heat is under imminent threat of death from Cyberzilla, a freshly arrived and still alive Godzilla has a choice of allegiance to make. And when he engages Cyberzilla in battle to protect Nick, also taking fire from the attacking Tachyon fighters, the outnumbered Godzilla seems done in by his own loyalty. However, boarding one of the alien craft, Elsie accesses her alien knowledge again to take off, joining the battle on Godzilla's side, and then strafing the control dish, boosting the alien's telepathy destroying it and freeing Hicks and the other soldiers. Godzilla manages to lay his parent to rest once more, and the invasion fleet elects to retreat. He manages to escape joining them in interstellar space through an escape pod, and the two transformed Tachyon's attempt to finish them personally is thwarted by Hicks and his soldiers. When the alien facility is destroyed, Hoffman and Soppler are partially returned to human form with hope of their eventual recovery. Hicks, having recognized the mutations role in defending Earth, recommends to his superiors that the surviving unconscious mutations be ferried to and contained at Omega site, a sort of monster island where they can be studied and preserved in case Earth ever needs them again. So, Monster Wars, starting with uh, part one. I feel like this is one of the more obscure entries in this series, probably one that <laughs> most casual fans haven't heard of. I mean, let's be real, it's no Bug Out, but.
2: <laughs>
0: so it's funny, my first note actually references Bug Out. <laughs> uh, I said, once again, we have Godzilla's behavior being reckless and unpredictable. Maybe this is an intentional story arc. Maybe Bug Out and the rest really have been building up to this. If so, kudos to the writers for playing the long game. Uh, spoilers, no, no, it wasn't. By the time we get to the end of the episode, that note was completely wrong.
3: Yeah,
4: I don't think it's ever going to build up to something. <laughs> I mean, it kind of does. It kind of like in the a later episode in this, in this batch, they kind of play with it a little bit in a way, but it doesn't really make sense. But I'll get to that uh,
2: in that episode. I think it is intentionally built towards Sort of. It's not, like, explicitly noted, but I do feel like the stuff about Godzilla acting up and, like, all the tension between the Heat team has been setting up, like, the whole oh, now we're all turning on each other and Godzilla ditching Nick for his cyborg daddy. (laughs) Again, I can definitely see an argument that it's not really connected, but... I kind of noticed it here, but then again, this is what I never really watched all the series leading up to Monster Wars before. It's just like different episodes at once.
1: I think it's less like the show was building to something and more like it's kind of a a stop for one phase of the show and a beginning of another phase of the show with like, you know, Monster Island and stuff coming into play. But I don't know.
0: Yeah, I just felt like with the Godzilla stuff, it was just like yeah there has been kind of a through line of him acting up but there's no real explanation oh it's been because of this there's no real payoff like it it does work to get you wondering in this trilogy in the next episode but it doesn't really feel like like it's a thing they were able to capitalize on but it doesn't really feel like all of those things have been meant to be connected in any way or to have any particular cause it's just kind of a thing that they throw in happening every now and again, which I I guess maybe he's just kind of entered a rebellious teenage phase. I don't know, But, but it didn't feel like they ever really connected the dots, which was frustrating because it felt like there was almost something there, but never really.
1: Well, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. The first thing I noticed about these episodes is that there's a Jerry Springer reference.
0: Tomorrow on Jerry Springer, my job is ruining my relationship.
1: Like pretty early on in Monster Wars, they make a Jerry Springer reference and confirm that Jerry Springer, I guess, exists in this universe. So I think that's hilarious. And I think it's... Maybe maybe the most important thing I learned from from these episodes is that Jerry Springer is canon with uh Godzilla.
3: Well, I mean, before that, we have the opening credits which are both flush and shway. So really what we need to acknowledge here is that the show is continuing to emphasize what is flush and what is shway. Jerry Springer being canon in the Godzilla Probably falls a little bit more on the flush side than the shway side, but still, I I agree. It's an important thing to note, and thank you for noting it. It was one episode. It it was one episode. It does not deserve
0: to be this level of running gag. Randy said it (laughs) once. He didn't even say
3: shway. We just joked about that. That's not very flush of you, Andrew.
1: (laughs) Shway shway Uh. isn't even from this show. from a whole different show. This is a train wreck. This episode is already a train wreck.
3: (laughs) No, 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 no. Guron was a train wreck. This is, we're pretty, we're pretty good so far. We really
0: planned to play it a lot straighter in the second batch of 50 episodes. I always figured it was a truism. In fact, I have a, a, I think a pretty good sci-fi series pitch based on this, but just, I always figured it was a truism that everybody that exists in the real world also exists in every fictional world, unless specifically stated otherwise, minus the actors that play the characters in the show. So like in the universe of Friends, everyone that exists here from Jerry Springer to even copies of each of us exists in that world. The only people that probably don't are like Jennifer Aniston and, you know, and... Matt LeBlanc and- Wait, you're telling me I exist in Friends? Yeah, I I mean, I figure you- sucks. I figure you exist in Friends, you exist in ER. Like, you know what? Every TV show in history that has never visited Iowa, the entire population of Iowa exists in that series Untouched because the entire rest of the world that the show never touches on, like everything in Friends outside of New York is exactly identical to this world, except that there are a few people that are different in New York and a few actors that don't exist in that world because otherwise people would be saying, hey, you guys look like that famous actor, you know? That's the way I always figured metaphysically every fictional world works.
4: When did Friends start and end? I might not exist. Oh, it ended in 2004. Never mind, I did exist in Friends. That sucks. I hate that. Thank you, Andrew. You ruined my day.
3: This is not the first pop culture reference in the show either. Like uh, they mentioned X-Files in the Leviathan episode. So yeah, I'm with Andrew on that. Like I always just assume unless stated otherwise, everything exists. It's just, there's no reason to think otherwise. Which is also weird because if you ended up in the world of like a sitcom,
0: you would have no reason to suspect you were in a TV unless you stumbled on like the 12 quirky people who have wacky hijinks once a week in like one city somewhere in the country, in the world, you'd have no way of knowing that this parallel universe was actually a fictional universe because everything else would just be normal.
4: And even if you do Mm -hmm. run into them, you still might not even know. It's true, it's true. Oh my God.
0: Is Friends real? Like I said, you could make a great sci-fi on this. You know, you could make a great sci-fi about someone that ends up in a TV universe and it's like, he's not a main character, so there's a fictional version of him and his family and everyone he knows there. You know, I got I got a whole, like, two-page treatment on this concept. Yo. Good
2: job, Andrew. Ten minutes in, I
0: already have an accidental crisis.
4: We're gonna make that after we make our Gamera trilogy.
0: But as for the Jerry Springer reference itself, you know, that was the second note that I'd taken. Like, I wrote wow, the big character conflict seems a little overdone and sudden. Like, conflict is understandable, but this seems a little too far. Of course, as the episode unfolded, I understood why that was the case, and it, and it started making sense. But it does make me wonder, do we think that any conflict in previous episodes has been due to this, or that any influence on the Heat team from Dr. Soppler only started happening off screen between last episode and this one. That's a good question. I feel like no, because I haven't, we
2: haven't seen Dr. Doppler anywhere. Doppler, Soppler. I can never, I never got his name right in
0: my notes. It is apparently Soppler, but I never got it right in my notes either. I had to look it up on the wiki.
2: Anyway, I always, I didn't think so, but I do feel like, again, it works because there has been so, so much tension between heat so far. And I don't remember as much tension after this trilogy, but, I do definitely think I could see that.
4: I always forget that the alien influence is a thing until they point it out. Because, again, Nick is already like this. He's already grumpy and standoffish. So, yeah, sometimes I, like, don't
2: notice it first. Yeah, I didn't want to say it, but they're, they're always kind of asked to each other. It's not that far a Yeah.
0: <laughs> so, you know, we talked about Godzilla misbehaving. And here, you know, we get the return of Hicks. And originally I was putting in my notes that it was a little awkward for all that Godzilla has been acting out without repercussions in the last few episodes. But actually, if Hicks and the military have been under Tachyon control and kept focus on their little project here, it does kind of make sense. Like the plot holes of the last batch of episodes, like Bug Out, kind of all fit in retrospect, whether it was like, Intentional or just sloppy writing, and they happen to get lucky, it does all fit that Godzilla's been acting out, but the military hasn't been responding because they've been under alien control and they had bigger fish to fry.
3: In reference to Godzilla acting out, we neglected to mention that pretty early on, we get the Nigel death, and not only do we get a Nigel death and a scream, we also get Nigel actually saying, Go, 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 recreating Nick in Nick's voice. No. No. and i feel
0: like that needs to be acknowledged was that in this one or was that in was that in the Cameron Winters one
4: it's in this one it's kind of a weird like he doesn't outright say go 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 it's kind of like he's saying go and then it glitches
0: and then it glitches it kind of of turns, right exactly into
2: it yeah yeah i've been debating whether to add that to my counts i missed that like cuz it's it's in nick's voice but it's also nigel it's strange <laughs> It's muddy. If there's ever a gag in a future episode where like, Randy goes like, go, go, go. And Nick's like, that's my line. That would be good. Maybe I'll add it. But for now,
0: potential nine on the screaming thing three times count. Speaking of Nigel, I thought him uh, driving the car and then doing the, you'll never take me alive. Copper's was wonderful. Ah, you'll never take me alive copper. Like that was just fantastic. That is so good. Utterly
2: incredible. (laughs) Can we just talk about the fact that they straight up drive into a military base and have actual guns aimed at them?
0: Yeah, I kind of, I want to say that this is like, uh, the alien's influence making them so edgy and uptight that they're just taking like, unusual risks. Cause that was definitely when they just decided, yo, let's smash through the gates and break into the military base. It's like, dude, what are you doing?
4: Also, I just love whenever Nigel gets like a badass moment. I think this is maybe like the third or fourth time it's happened in the show, but it's always just really good.
0: While they're on their way to the military base, I took note that when they said, why would aliens land in Jersey? I was like, I'm guessing that was an intentional War of the Worlds reference, which is a nice touch. Wow, I didn't even catch that. I'm like a massive War of the Worlds nerd. I love the twist that the
2: Tachyons can't survive in our atmosphere. Also, I think it's an intentional War of the Worlds nod that one of them crawls out and pain before like suffering
0: and dying. It's funny to me that this is set in Lagos, Nigeria, but that's not a Godzilla versus King Ghidorah homage. It's a real city. It just so happens to have the same name as a completely made up island (laughs) in That was in a movie like five years earlier.
4: Yeah, I thought that was kind of funny, too. Also, Nick pronounces it Legos. Get three tickets to Legos. Uh, which is just pretty funny to me. You could really build on that. <laughs> so, yeah, we get introduced to the uh, giant bat, which is unfortunately just called a giant bat in the Nigeria sequence, uh, which is pretty cool. Or maybe do we get introduced to it in the, like, the cold open before... It- No, I don't remember. It doesn't matter. Either way, there's a giant bat in this trilogy of episodes, and it rocks. Uh, It's a great monster. It's very simple. It's literally just a giant bat, but I don't know. Something about its design really works. Uh, Its body is, like, kind of small, but then it's got, like, a really wide, like, wingspan, and it's just got, like, a great, like, silhouette, and uh, bats are rad, and I think giant bats are even radder.
2: I love the Bat. Bat is one of my favorite monsters in the series. I love the whole Sonic shriek. I love how janky, but yet kind of cool it is. It's just a really cool monster. The only thing is, again, I wish it had a actual name. Oh, Batu. Uh, Batagon. Batra. Wait, that's taken. Uh, I don't know. Morbius. It's more time. <laughs> that joke probably won't be relevant by the time this episode comes out, but one of us had to say it. It's been three weeks and it's still trending. It probably will. I mean, he has the same hair as Jared Leto. He's about as unsettling as Jared Leto. I really love the bat monster.
1: For some reason, the bat is like the thing I all I always remembered the most as like from the little bit of the show I saw as a little kid. Like I always remembered the bat monster and specifically the moment when godzilla like chases him like through the bridge and like gets his head stuck in the bridge for some reason that's the moment of the show that sticks out in my brain the most so it was cool to like see it again
4: uh when that came up i was going to write in my notes that for some reason godzilla getting his head stuck in the bridge has always really stuck out to me since i was a kid and then i was like nah nobody else would understand nobody would get that and then like a few minutes later James uh, was started talking about how that was like the thing he like remembers most about the show. And it was just like weird. It was just a weird thing where that stuck out to both of us a lot for some reason. I don't know. It's just weird. And I wanted to point that out.
0: Apparently bridges really are just American Godzilla's kryptonite. Like it's where 98 Godzilla died. It gets junior stuck here. Even in 2014, like is where godzilla gets his one sort of major having to retreat from the military getting getting beaten up moment like bridges are just not good for american godzillas i do not love nick giving his verbal commands again especially as godzilla is now following like extremely specific instructions Like when Nick's like, go, get back in the water, drop it. I can understand it's like when you yell at a dog and they can generally figure, stop doing what you're doing. But now he's like, you know, turn your head, a quarter turn to the left and pull it back. It's like, wait, does he just speak English now? Like why? I feel like there ought to be a limit to the specificness of commands that he will understand from Nick. And to me, this was like, that.
1: he just has to say it three times and then it makes sense then godzilla can understand <laughs> whatever he's saying doesn't matter how complicated or how long if he says it three times in a row godzilla will get it do you know what's funny about the br- when godzilla gets stuck in the bridge i did not remember this from when i was a kid but it seems like he's stuck there for hours <laughs> like <laughs> like the lighting changes it, it goes from like from like dusk to like nighttime <laughs> um and like it's like a it's like a yeah, like Nick giving him command It's like a project to like get Godzilla out. Like like bridges really are his weakness. He can't do anything to a
3: bridge. The bat is awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's a giant bat. Can't really go wrong. Um, but what was interesting about that fight was when he finally got trapped and the bat like bites Godzilla is that the way it's shot and the way it's sort of suggested, the way the music shifts I would, I and I mean, I've been watching this stuff in forever, so like I kind of forgot. But like, I had assumed something was happening, like the bat was gonna poison him, or the bat was gonna drain some of his blood, or drain some of his energy, or do something. Because as it is, he literally just, <laughs> just goes up and bites his nose, and the okay, <laughs> um, like I really thought there was like something that okay, now he's got he's poisoned, or now he's you know he's drained, or whatever. He just was like bite bite.
2: Yeah, I agree. It's like very. It feels like something symbolic's happening. I don't know if it's just because a lot like the opening of Cujo, but it's weird. It's basically just a really like overly dramatized. Hey, screw you, dude. <laughs> I'm going now.
1: Yeah, the bat's awesome. There's something like really definitive about the bat. Like you know, like like in the same way that like Rodan is like the pterodactyl kaiju, the bat is like in my head. This is like the bat kaiju. You know, like someone else could make a bat kaiju and it wouldn't be the bat kaiju because this thing already exists like there's just something so like something something about the simplicity of the design like there's just something so like definitive about it so what you're saying is gauss can fuck off <laughs> oh yeah there's gauss yeah gauss is like
4: but gauss is like not even a bat it's <laughs>
1: like just like a weird
4: he's a bat i think in the show in the Showa movies, it drinks blood and it hates the sun.
2: That's pretty. Vit-
0: he's like, bat-y. like a bat
4: derivative, though. You know, he's like he's like a big vampire thing.
2: Yeah,
1: I don't know. He's he's definitely derived from a bat, but he's he's too. He's also just kind of too weird. He's got
4: you know he's got his own thing going on. Giant bat is is number two bat monster in my heart. But Shoah Gauss is the number one bat monster in my heart. But then there's also the cool, like, vampire thing in that one Ultraman show that I don't remember the name of right now because it's the only episode I've seen of it, which is also pretty cool. But yeah, I don't know where I was going with that. But.
0: Yeah, I don't know why. I, I just have really different tastes in monsters than you guys. Because um, I do not like the giant bat's design or its uncreative name. It's unique, but I just think it's kind of ugly. Um, I, I do like its sonic pulse weapon. Like, I thought that was cool. But yeah, giant bat didn't do much for me. I can understand that. It is technically just supposed to be like a
2: starter monster before all the chaos. It, it's basically just Manda from the beginning of Final Wars. Other
1: thing I wanted to say about uh, the giant bat is it's interesting that there have been so many giant bats in like American spinoff Godzilla media, but there's never been a giant bat like actually in a Toho movie. So we have the giant bat here. We have there's a giant bat in the Marvel comics. And there's also a giant bat in um the dark horse comics. Uh, I think Bagora. Bagora. I forget if it's Marvel or Dark Horse, but Bagora is one of them.
4: Yeah, it's the Dark Horse one. And he's cool as hell. True. Yeah,
1: and I forget the name I forget the name of the, the Marvel one. He's like he's like on the the Island of Monsters with uh, Dr. Demonicus, the guy that ends up fighting SHIELD. So yeah, it's just it's an interesting theme. I'm surprised. the Actually, the, the the MonsterVerse almost had a giant bat. It had those weird bird bat things in Godzilla vs. Kong. But it's just it's just a thing that keeps coming up in like spin-off stuff, but never in the actual series.
2: Also, I just want to cut in, because I did look up the Marvel Kaiju Monster, and funny enough, it actually is Batagon. That joke name I threw out is an actual kaiju. Wow.
0: One other thing I just want to note for this episode uh, is that I really like that a piece of Nigel's eye can just become a self possessed robot. It, it feels a bit out of nowhere, but it's it's cool. Yeah,
4: it kind of makes Nigel like this in the like the badass moments I talked about earlier. It kind of makes Nigel a little more than just the funny robot who dies every episode. So, yeah, I'd
2: kind of like to see more stuff like that. The only thing I had in my notes was baby Nigel. So I'm just going to leave it with that. Thank you. You're welcome. So, yeah, at the end,
4: uh, there's like the kind of the beginnings of the whole monster island thing. And you get like a montage sort of of like monsters from older episodes like coming back. Like the C-Rex, which was really cool. Pizza Rat was there. The Queen. All those guys. It was pretty rad um and i just found it very exciting and it's just so cool that like this show like pulls things from older episodes and brings them back but it's like kind of adds to the thing i have with this where it's like kind of feels like this should be a finale and not like pretty early on in the show like even if it was at least like a season one finale i think that would make a lot of sense but whatever but it's super ominous uh like it's at night i think and there's I think there's lightning in the background, but I might be wrong, I don't remember, but it's like, you know, like a like I think there's like a volcano and stuff on the island and it's just, I don't know, it's just super uh, ominous and I love it. Welcome to your new home.
0: Yeah, I feel like this is sort of an issue with both of them and we'll talk about this in Final Thoughts, but the momentum feels a little off in places, partly because they do need to sort of build to a cliffhanger point for the end of each episode at a place that would not necessarily be the most natural place for it, but is just constrained by, it's got to be every 22 minutes, you know? But in part two, I felt like Randy's bit with the radar feels like it does a lot more to justify why he's on the team when they already have Craven. Like, at least he's more than a hacker. It, it was just nice to see him finally showing some skills. I thought the the giant bat cryptocleitis sequence is pretty good. It's maybe one of the better bits of action in the whole three-parter.
3: Yeah, I was super into that. And it's actually kind of funny because during that that whole sequence of the boat, Racing away from the Clyptoclitis and the bat showing up and everything. I noticed how and I think I think Nick specifically has mentioned this before, but for he for me, this was the the moment I noticed it. Is the animation is actually wonderful. Like the animation seems to have gotten to a point where it's all the kinks have been ironed out, they know what they're doing, everything's awesome. But yeah, it was cool to see the Clyptoclitus come back. It's, it's such a cool design i also agree fantastically animated sequence i think it's a great way to open this
2: episode but i'm also going to quickly take this moment to rave about the cryptoclytus because i missed the leviathan episode recording it's easily one of my favorite kaiju in the show i love its design so much this is a paleo thing because i'm a big paleo nerd i absolutely love how absurd it is that they name a really obscure plesiosaur and it's they it untouched when it has like extra arms and everything but i just it's so cool i love the skull and everything it's incredible
4: i think the uh colitis is like way cooler in this episode than it is in uh the other episode it's in just because in that one like there's three of them and they're just kind of there to like be a monster for godzilla to fight but i don't know i think it's cool that it gets a fight with the bat and everything and the part where the Bat and the Crypto are fighting and you see Monique and Randy like standing in the boat and then then you see the reflection of the fight going on like in the window. I think that's super, super cool and not really a type of thing I would expect to see in this show and I just really love that.
0: Feels like, you know, it might be time to uh, talk about the cybernetically revived corpse in the room. Uh, Which, of course, is Monique. Um, (laughs) She's just so happy, I'm sure, that she finally got to do her wetsuit action like she's been wanting to do since the first, you know, Cameron Winters episode. Or no, since even the the nanotech monster. I'm happy for her. She deserves it. But slightly less important to this episode, but probably we should bring it up at some point, is that there's like a, a Cyberzilla character of some sort. And uh, I thought it was kind of cool that his reveal coming up on the lift with the smoke, very similar to the Mecha Godzilla reveal in Godzilla vs. Kong. Like, once again, we are seeing just how much the monster verse was inspired by this 90s stuff that we never realized. Like, so many pieces were borrowed from the treatment. The movie, the movie sequel treatment, and the and the animated series. It's crazy seeing how much of that DNA carried through into the four films of the MonsterVerse. I agree. It's not only was I already
2: like, okay, this is like the exact same intro, but like Hoffman is literally calling him out from a friggin' bone computer, a computer looking thing made out of bone. I didn't notice that. That's really cool. Quick thought about '90s script stuff. Now that we're here. Anyone else think the whole tachyons upload their brains into humans and slowly the humans become aliens is a 1994 script Marty nod? Ah, oh.
1: That definitely occurred to me, yeah. That could be. Yeah, I did think of that. I also think it's like a really creepy and like gross concept
2: yeah it's messed
1: up you see them partially like transformed at one point and it's like actually pretty scary yeah at the end whenever they like revert
2: oh and i don't think we see them again so that's kind of fucked up to think that just like stuck in this horrible half alien half human form forever poor lads
4: but yeah the cyber godzilla is rad um i'm i'm an absolute like Mecha Godzilla fanboy um Oddly enough, I have not had very many opportunities to talk about Mechagodzilla on this show, but I love Mechagodzilla, and I especially love when Mechagodzilla is a villain. So I think it's super cool that this show has its version of Mechagodzilla and that it is also a villain. And also the fact that it's a cyborg is like really cool, and it's something that hadn't been done before this, um, but Toho would later kind of do with Kiryu yeah i don't know i just think it's really cool and i like that it's atomic breath is blue i just think that was a neat little detail and there's a part where it shoots some missiles from its spines and the sound effect as they light up uh before firing is just a really great sound effect and i just wanted to point that out. yeah cyber godzilla is cool i don't have much to say
1: about cyber godzilla except that i thought nick's reaction to like the reveal was like really good
4: talk about me for a
1: second (laughs) i'm sure i'm sure you had a great reaction to the
4: reveal but also nick and the show had a good reaction to the reveal i should start a reaction channel on youtube where every video is me reacting to the cyber godzilla reveal
0: (laughs) yes it's funny though that you mentioned that you didn't have a lot to say about him because i feel the same way like cyber godzilla is such a brilliant concept Such a a genius idea. Bring back the first Godzilla for the first movie as a cyborg zombie. And it's great. And I I feel like I should have more to say about it than that. Just, yeah, it's great. (laughs) There should be
3: more than that, but there isn't. The first couple of episodes we did of this, I, I think I made it pretty clear that Cyber Godzilla was my favorite monster from the show. On this current watch through, that is no longer the case. Crackler so far has taken that position. I just, I love Crackler. I'm going to agree with Andrew on this. I think cyber Godzilla is a incredibly awesome concept. Like I think like Nick had said, it's not just a Mechagodzilla, but it's an evil Mechagodzilla and he's got the blue beam. He's a cyborg. Like it's not just a robot Godzilla. It's a cyborg and he attacks Tokyo, which is rad too. So everything about him is awesome. His roar. <laughs> leaves a little bit to be desired. I think because he sounds like Orga to me. But whatever, like he's he's awesome, he's great. But good lord, they did not do anything with it. They're just sort of like, okay, like yeah, Nick's reaction is cool. But the whole concept that you've now taken this monster that was relatively destructive, reanimated its body. It is literally a walking zombie the size of a building. Like that is that is incredible body horror. That like you could do so much of that. You could do so much. With that concept. And I understand it's a kids TV show. So I get that. I give it a lot of freedom on that. But frankly in my opinion. This entire three parter. Should have just been about Cyber Godzilla. Like take all the other monsters out of it. Just have like Cyber Godzilla to me is enough of a threat. To justify a three parter. And enough of a, like a big enough. A big enough event within the confines of the story. That it would work on its own in a three parter. As it is. He's almost an afterthought. He just shows up. There's the quick little thing about Godzilla maybe joining his side, but that's kind of quickly brushed, the, uh, brushed off because then they give him, they get him under mind control. And then at the very, very end, which I know we'll get to, but at the very end of episode three, you know, there's that again. But it's I feel like as a concept, it should have been explored much more and all the other monsters just forgotten. I don't know. Cyber Godzilla is cool, but much like Kiryu, in my opinion, it is a criminally underutilized concept that lends itself to some amazingly original and terrifying, like completely terrifying concepts that they just don't explore at all. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I can see that too. I don't disagree
4: with you, but I still
3: like him. I just say the same thing, baby. Yeah, no, I, I, I like him too. Like like don't I, I don't want anyone to think that like I don't like God. CyberGod. Cyber Godzilla is still like my second favorite monster of the show. I love CyberGod. The design is awesome. Like I, I love I love him. He's great. I just from a real world perspective, less of an in-show perspective, it just bothers me when we have, and again, curious the same way you have like this, it's a rad concept and it's a sort of like, they kind of give you a little bit of a tease of it. And they're like, okay, that's it. And it's like, you could do so much with this, but no, he's still awesome. He's great.
2: That did come across me. Is that as cool as he is, as awesome as he does kind of like, feel a little bit le- wasted after this introduction. Like, I think it's incredible. I love his all the tech it has, which makes it feel like a classic villa who's just, like, armed to the teeth and is a walking artillery. Ugh, artillery. I really love the technical sound they add to, like, the footsteps and roars. I really love the chase it gets into with Nick and Craven. I think that's really cool, though. I do want to add, what is it with the 1998 verse and monsters not being able to destroy yellow vehicles
0: first with the taxi now it's a forklift what's going on all of the monsters are green lanterns that's it that's the secret <laughs> to me muta- that's what's causing the mutations the green lantern core is recruiting they're using us to farm their new members i like it that's where the mutant rats came from that's that uh, that uh, we've suddenly got the explanation for all of it and their only weakness is yellow Except for Nigel, <laughs> for some <laughs> reason. The most destructible yellow thing on the planet. That's good. I was just
2: going to say they're made of tachyon titanium. But
0: yeah, I the thing that
2: saves Cyber Godzilla for me is the whole Godzilla turn on Nick moment, which I'm about to drop a very, very hot take. This is the most impactful moment of Godzilla being controlled by aliens or like turning on humanity in the entire series. There's just something about like having a Godzilla we've known has been a good character has we've known has been a hero and has protect people just turn around and like attack. That really is like just a great ocean oh sh- moment. I really do like it. What's also cool about that
4: part is, um, you know, I mean that the aliens, you know, still feel the need to get him under their mind control, which is understandable because, you know, he like later turns on the aliens when he's not under their mind control. But, um, it's cool that when they get him under the mind control, they acknowledge that they needed more power to control him. And like the Toho movies haven't even done that in a couple instances in those where Godzilla has been mind controlled. Um, and it's it's just, it's just cool that like they took like a couple seconds to acknowledge that Godzilla is stronger than the other uh, monsters, like even mentally. And I don't know, I just thought it was cool.
0: I really like the arrival on the island and sort of the crossing montage you briefly get with Monique and Randy. It feels a lot in tone like what the Godzilla 2 treatment kind of intended with their arrival on Monster Island there. A little smaller in scale, obviously, but I really like that it felt like it was channeling that energy. I agree. I really like that
2: montage. I genuinely love this take on Monster Island so far. Because I really love the idea of a monster island that's not, like, a, like, preserve for kaiju or, like, a natural place. They just all gather and, like, live in an uneasy alliance. No, this is a monster island that's basically just a glorified, like, armory where all the these weaponized kaiju live in an uneasy alliance until they're called out to attack. Uh, that's a really rad concept.
3: I, I could be getting my episodes mixed up, but... Was this where Godzilla arrives and all the monsters kind of like were less than thrilled that the, the monster that had beaten yeah. them was on the island now? Or was that episode three? Yeah, that was cool. I dug that. That was rad. Yeah, that was, was really cool. More, again, more had been done with it, but it was cool.
0: I liked the little standoff. It was pretty cool. I also thought it was very appropriate that we got the C-Rex from the pilot, the giant rat from Cat and Mouse, and the Cryptoclitus from Leviathan when the writers of each of those three episodes... We're also the writers of this three-parter. I generally assume that is the only reason why the giant rat made the cut, Whoa. especially because he's like only in this episode written by the guy that wrote Cat and Mouse,
3: and does not appear. Yo, are you dissing Pizza Rat in the next episode? Are you yeah? Are you attacking Pizza Rat right now? Yo. Do we, do we have to have a conversation, Andrew? Do we need to defend Pizza Rat's honor right now? I mean... Just wait till you come up here and I get you some pizza. Pizza Rat's not going to bless your slice, my dude. <laughs> I, I, let's, let's... I mean, come on. The, the
0: mimetic Pizza Rat and, and the guy from Cat and Mouse are arguably somewhat different entities. Do you remember how Godzilla mopped the floor with that guy? Like a little bit. The giant rats were not exactly God, Godzilla the series' most formidable enemies, you know? I just think it's funny that he only shows up in this episode by the guy that wrote the Giant Rats episode. And like the two written by the other guys, he's about the only monster from this montage of monsters that doesn't appear again or or before. Like they're they're just not interested in him. I think my favorite part of the whole episode is just seeing the army of
2: Kaiju attack the uh, planet. I think it's very rad seeing them all in a lot of locations you yeah, haven't seen in the series, like c Rex attacks London, Kerbalize attacks Hong Kong. We wouldn't see that until 2021. The giant bat attacks Paris. That's pretty cool. That hasn't been seen since Royal Monsters, though. I guess uh, since attacking Paris, it destroys the Arc de Triomphe. So I guess we do have a name. That's uh, Barragon. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> there is one criticism I'm gonna levy right here, right now. This is a very good episode. Really cool. You know what would have made it absolutely f***ing iconic? The ending should have been Godzilla climbing atop the Washington Monument and doing the intro pose while, like, a distorted version of the theme song played. That would have been the absolute perfect ending.
4: You're right. That would be cool, but I don't know if he's, like, how— I don't know how tall that thing even is. He might be taller than it, though. I don't know. I don't know. It's taller than you'd think, I think.
0: Maybe I did love how shamelessly this was a destroy all monsters sequence. And and we even do get Cyberzilla, you know, the original Godzilla with blue atomic breath attacking Tokyo. It is wonderful. Like it's it's very transparent what they're doing, but it's OK. I love that they're doing it. So
1: the, the sequence is super great, but um, I will say I've never been so aware that you can't show jets and tanks blowing up without showing the people inside getting out
0: the gi joe trope
1: yeah um and in fact there's one i think it's cyber godzilla blasting some helicopters where it's like it's like it's almost like they had to they forgot and they had to go back and add it in quickly because it's like it's like it's like blink and you miss it these little these little red like like um streaks like shooting up from the helicopters It's almost like they had to, they forgot and they had to like, just go back. Oh my God. Oh my God. The kids, the kids will think someone died. We got to throw that in like, like it wasn't there before, but yeah, it's a great sequence. Uh,
4: Super fun. Isn't it weird that the 98 Godzilla design basically, because I guess technically legally Zilla is technically a different character. Isn't it weird that that has had a presence in three separate destroy all monsters type stories. This final Wars and then the finale of Godzilla Rulers of Earth, <laughs> that IDW comic.
2: Oh my God, it's true. That is very weird.
4: Like he even gets like a like a heroic moment in in Rulers of Earth, which is really cool. The only one where he doesn't fare very well is Final Wars. but uh yeah, it's it's so strange. By the way, Zilla is really cool in those comics. I just want to say, I really like him
0: in there. He's just neat. And I do love how he gets his name in that one, where they're like, yeah, the guys like cutting it out. He's like, look out because both monsters are approaching at the same time. And the soldiers don't know that. It's like, look out. It's, Zilla, it's- Zilla. And The guy's like, Oh, is that what we're calling him now? Zilla? Yeah. <laughs> and then actual Godzilla shows up behind him and starts fighting with it. But the name, somehow sticks.
4: Yeah, it's a great fight, though. That fight between them two, it's great. But anyways, back to uh, the thing we're supposed to be talking about.
0: So moving into part three, I will say, much as I do really like this Destroy All Monsters scenario, I know you're not supposed to think about it because it's just kind of a returning guest stars thing. But I have to say, because I do take this series seriously, at least as seriously as I think it's trying to present itself, it really is kind of silly that most of these mutations that were killed just happened to either survive in secret or have a second identical cousin that survived for the team up. Like the fact that each mutation was seemingly exactly two of a kind is more than a little absurd. Elkisano survived.
4: Yeah, the worm didn't die.
0: Yeah. Yeah, he could have bulked back up, but... But the like, others I can't speak for. The rats were drowned, King Cobra was like... a Rat is eternal. Snapped in half and drowned. He was pretty <laughs> definitively dead. Literally what I wrote down in my notes when we did that episode. This dude is
2: super dead. How is, does he show up again? Yeah.
0: It feels like this episode has both the strongest continuity of the series and the weakest because it remembers a lot of the details and specific things from Leviathan, even like Monique having her, you know her mind control powers, but it selectively chooses to forget all the times that Godzilla specifically killed off the monsters that it's bringing back like C-Rex and King Cobra, in some cases, fairly definitively. So it makes it a really weird exercise in both feeling like a very grown up, well thought out, complex continuation of a prior story, and simultaneously a very kiddy, ignoring continuity, just assume that no one is going to notice or remember because it's for kids exercise, In you know plot logic, for bringing back popular icons, no matter how little it makes sense, and I kind of feel like the paradox of having both embodied in the same story kind of hurts my brain. That it's like, oh, this is really well done, and really awfully done at the same time in different aspects. I just had a rebuttal
2: though, which is if we're being honest, we look at the original Destroy All Monsters, uh, throat torn out by Godzilla. Exploded by Bombs he ate. I think. I still need to see that movie. broken by Godzilla. Frozen by the Gotango. Burned to death by Godzilla and Manila. Something with a chasm with Frankenstein or a giant octopus. It's kind of a tradition at this point. They should have had Dr. Fukube and Macchietti come back to help Heat fight off the invasion. That just occurred to me when yeah. I was sitting here thinking. I think it's a crime that that didn't happen. I would like to very quickly add, come on, Tachyons. Nine kaiju. Well, those are rookie numbers in this racket. You guys gotta get those numbers up. Yeah, that's true.
3: Well and interestingly, they don't it doesn't it's not every monster. Like 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 Andrew was it, what? Dude, dude, I'm shot. Someone was already saying about how certain monsters were dead and, and how the certain of them come back, but it's not like they brought back every single monster. Like they didn't bring back Crackler. They didn't bring back uh the slime the 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 trash eating thing um they don't bring everybody crackler back would probably be too hard to
4: justify since it's like from that dude's don't brain dare no 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 i love crackler i I, I, I love crackler I i'm saying since it comes I, from I, that I, guy being I, asleep I, I, and his anger manifesting into a giant monster they'd have to really
3: listen he's a new yorker there's always reasons to be angry so i'm sure and he has to sleep at some point may, yeah
4: they could have kidnapped him and, and knocked him out Put him in a medically induced coma.
3: Hey, see, look at that.
2: I'm just imagining them giving the guy melatonin being like, your shirt is awful today. And then it's just like Crackler shows up in the army of the monsters like roaring.
4: (laughs) I'm kind of conflicted because I like the idea of what's going on with Elsie in this episode because she's been under mind control the whole time in this three-parter. And then when they bring her back, they kind of use her as a plot device where, like, oh, she remembers everything that, that the aliens taught her about their stuff, so she's able to help them, like, navigate everything. Um, but they kind of try to do an interesting thing where it's like, oh, like, it's dangerous to reach into those parts of her mind because that, she could fall back into their control. But, like, I feel like as cool as that is, and as much as I appreciate the idea, I feel like they don't really do enough with it because they just kind of have her mention that but they don't ever show her actually being in danger of falling back into mind control like it'd be interesting if yeah if there was a point where she did for a split second and they had to hurry up and get her out of it i don't know but it's a cool idea but i think they could have done
0: more with it i agree it really felt underexploited. just kind of some false tension and it was not used to its full potential at all Yeah, for
3: sure. That's honestly, in my opinion, the theme of this three-parter, which I know we'll get into at the end, but that is, in my opinion, that's the theme of this entire arc of episodes.
0: Yeah. I just want to note for the, the aliens and the, like, first the monster rampage and then the alien assault, like, that is a lot of destruction. I really hope the subsequent episodes are going to show the world rebuilding. Again, for a city like New York, the events of the Godzilla 98 film are now pretty trivial. Like for us, that was the big event because they made a two-hour movie out of it and these are just 20-minute episodes. But realistically, I hate that there are... It's really hard to make the comparisons I want to make because they're, uh would be extremely insensitive to real-world disasters. So let me try... Uh, this would be like that time the Godzilla 98 movie would be like that time that the Olympic got hit by a torpedo and like survived. And then the cat and mouse is like the Britannic sinking. And now this is like the full on Titanic. Like the Godzilla 98 movie seems like the big disaster because it's the one they made a two, two and a half hour movie out of, but in universe, that was the least destructive event that New York has experienced in this world. It's been topped several times and that that it makes the 98 film look like a minor act of vandalism in comparison. And doubtless during this attack, the Chrysler building was destroyed again, just as they were finishing putting it back up. But if they showed the repercussions of the 98 film in this series, once already in cat and mouse, they were still cleaning up the damage. Like, I hope there will be the same kind of repercussions here because cities all over the world should be cleaning up the damage for years based on what we've seen just Godzilla's one rampage due to one city already. Like, I know that those were just put in there to be tie-ins to the movie, but nonetheless, since those events have been significantly surpassed, I really hope that the series will actually reflect that.
1: Yeah. Okay. I got a few things to say about the alien invasion. First of all, it's, it's rad. I mean, I just, I'm just a lover of destruction and explosions. So this has a lot of that. So that's cool. But um, it's interesting. So like the, the two main aliens, they say that the purpose of the monster attacks is to like deplete, you know, earth's like military forces to make the alien the alien invasion easier which is interesting because it implies that the humans the human militaries are like a threat to the aliens like the alien technology is not so advanced that they, that they can like just take on
3: not to interject here sorry but to be fair we see that if i recall you actually see that i i maybe i'm misremembering but i could have sworn you see jet fighters actually take down
1: you might and that's where i'm going is that i think that the, epi- the episodes do show that like for example The alien, the big lasers from the ships, like one knocks Godzilla out for a while. But remember that it took four like Sidewinder missiles from an F-18 to kill the original Godzilla. So apparently this like alien laser blast is less powerful than four like jet fighter missiles. So that's interesting. And also if – the aliens say, oh, the monsters have already done their job, that implies like a huge body count to the monsters if, if they've already depleted Earth's militaries. Like the entirety of Earth's militaries in that um, – such that the aliens can now attack. Like that, that would be a huge body count from the monsters, which is dark. But yeah, I thought that was interesting that like the humans are like a threat to the aliens. And it's kind of like – that's kind of in keeping with like the Toho tradition of alien invasions. Um, like in Toho, I, I've said this in a lot of previous episodes, but in Toho movies, the there's usually like like a ring of desperation to the alien invaders. Like they're they're not they're usually not coming in with overwhelming force. Like Final Wars is kind of the the odd one out. They're they're they have to do something sneaky. They have to control the monsters. They have to like hide or like be in human disguise or something because they just don't have the numbers or the resources to take on the earth themselves. I think there's even a line in part one where they, the two aliens mention that the resources are already taxed with what they're attempting to do. Um, so, I mean, we do get a full on alien invasion at the end, but um, still there's something about this that is kind of in keeping with the Toho idea of alien invasions, which I thought is, uh, is kind of cool and interesting.
3: All I really wanted to say about the alien invasion was I thought that the Little fighters were really cool, and it reminded me a lot of Independence Day, like to the point where I think the sound effect they used for their little beam things, I think is the same one from Independence Day, but I could I could be wrong about that. I agree with what you're saying though, because like when you had mentioned how you know the 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 aliens say that oh the the monster's job's done, like it it, to me that moment felt sort of like deflection almost, as if they were sort of saying well you know what yeah, you know, we actually are getting our asses kicked, but uh, we're going to, like, we're not. Um, that's how I sort of took that, but then again, this, this, uh, this whole episode, uh, I don't yeah.
2: yeah, I found it interesting that uh, they more or less imply the Kaidu aren't really supposed to be their, like, endgame, destroy all humans trump card, and they're more like a big distraction to waste the military's resources until their their army can wipe them all out i feel like it kind of diminishes the kaiju's threat but also gives a nice twist on the damn formula that it was
4: they also may have like seen it coming that the monsters would probably fight them so it may have also been let's mind control them so that doesn't happen but i mean i guess if you take them out that easy then it's probably not that big of a problem anyway (laughs) That said, I get really excited whenever the monsters uh, start fighting back. And then whenever they all get like shot down, I get really sad. It's like watching Order 66, but like Kaiju version. And yeah, it just bums me out. Uh, but then it's revealed that they're not actually dead, which is good.
2: <laughs> Legitimately, what I wrote down in my notes is that they're Order 66 in them. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I uh, just wanted to note that uh, in this the the messed up airing order the order that you know a lot of episode listings go by uh competition freeze and bug out would all have come after this episode meaning that king cobra would have actually appeared here before the episode that introduces him for anyone watching in 1998 which is one of the nice reasons that uh you know they've actually put them in the correct order on the dvds I thought it was also worth mentioning uh, here as much as anywhere that uh, Sony Studios used a process of painting their backgrounds on layered animation cells, same as the characters, to give them a more unique look, not the contrast of painted backgrounds and foreground characters with a very different look that you see in a lot of animation, which uh, really served them well here when they are combining monsters and ship elements and effects and different background plates and they all sort of have the same look. It's something that you wouldn't necessarily be able to pull off as effectively in other styles of animation, especially ones that might use some really obvious sort of cell shaded CGI to do your non-organic shapes like ships and have a painted background, the animated characters, all the elements can combine a lot less in other art styles, but the way that Sony studios choose to Godzilla, the series really helps things to, uh, mesh nicely
4: yeah everything has a really nice cohesive look to it but just to get back to the uh, bat because obviously we haven't talked enough about him i think he's the only monster in this series aside from godzilla himself to fight three different monsters uh the cryptocleidus godzilla and then cyber godzilla i mean the cyber godzilla fight isn't that much of a fight he kind of just gets his ass kicked like pretty fast but I don't know, it's just, it's just a neat thing to note. But yeah, I kind of wish the fight between Godzilla and CyberGodzilla had lasted a little longer or had been like kind of a better fight. It's a little underwhelming. Like there's, it doesn't really feel like there's that much of a struggle, which is kind of disappointing because, I mean, I know this character isn't legally Mechagodzilla, but he's basically Mechagodzilla. And I just like when Mechagodzilla gives Godzilla a real hard time.
2: I have to agree. I feel like the fight is kind of sadly short, though I do like it just because, one, I feel like it's kind of implying that despite all the technology, an organic Godzilla is still stronger. And two, it kind of is made up for by how absolutely brutal Cyber Godzilla's final death is. Like, that is... That's kind of pushing it. Yeah, Godzilla, like, rips him apart. (laughs) Yeah, he gets ripped apart by his own son with a death whale. That's... Kind of insane, but uh, I also wanted to add this, the other thing I love about the giant bat is that he basically goes Rodan and becomes like this wild card that starts protecting the humans, but also attacking the aliens. And I was more impressed with that because for some reason I think I'm Mandela affecting, but I remember him showing up to help Godzilla fight Cyber Godzilla, and then he got knocked out by the like reflector thing in CyberG's chest. But either way, that's another reason I love Giant Bat is his sudden hero turn here in the last episode.
1: Uh, yeah, the Bat has some serious Rodan energy. Something I thought was really funny now that we're talking about like the final battle and everything. Um, when they when the Heat team breaks into the alien ship to, um, and they're going to like fly it and use it to help Godzilla. There was a second where I really thought Nick was just going to be able to fly like the alien ship. Like I really thought that's what they were, were going to do. And I was just like... Man, not another thing this guy can do. Like, he he knows about worms. He knows about mutations. He knows about, like, prehistoric stuff. And now he can fly an alien, like, military craft. Like, no. There's no way he could do that. No, no, Nick Topolis. You can't do that as well. It's too many things. Uh, But then they
4: didn't do that, so that was good. That would have been way too far. That said, though, that little dog fight, you know, it's short, but it's pretty cool. Uh, I, I really like seeing aerial dogfights and things. So, especially whenever there are alien spaceships involved. So,
0: it was pretty cool. We only get a Nigel death scream in episode one. In episode two, we do get another Nigel death with no scream, but it's still pretty funny. And we do get the voice of Nigel being a a crook, a robber, seems like, uh, in episode one. We also get a move, move, move whispered gently in episode two. Move, move, move.
4: Yeah, I have written in my notes, move, move, move. And then in parentheses, quiet version.
2: Oh, man, I missed that. Oh, my God. I'm really doing it bad on the go, go, go count right now. Oh, my God. So, OK, so that's eight. Also got a go, go, go in episode three. So that makes the scream count go up to
0: nine. Go, go, go. So uh, final thoughts for this trilogy of episodes. I think
1: they're great. Yeah, I don't know. Like w- like what do you want? Like <laughs> it's <just laughs> a bunch of monsters go go crazy and like there's aliens blowing stuff up. Like like what else do you need? It's it's great. It's cool. I like it.
3: I'm not really the biggest fan. I mean, it's it's cool. There's a lot of co- really cool concepts. I'm always a sucker for alien invasions, but I found like it really underutilized the concepts and I found that it was something that as it is and as it was proposed, probably could have been either a two-parter or even go so far as to say one parter. though with that, cyber Godzilla is kind of a big enough of a thing that he probably should get a two-parter. but I don't know. the episode's fine. It's it, or the three episodes they're fine. It's just I feel like they could have done a lot more with their, their concepts.
2: I'm kind of in the middle. I feel like this episode was good. I still like it. Might be nostalgia. But I do definitely think it wasn't as tight as I remember it being. If I were to describe it, I'd give it a uh, half
0: flush, a flus, if you will. Monster War tells an epic monster story and is an absolute highlight of the fandom. And I'm both impressed and have critiques. Like the decompressed storytelling allows for a much longer form story to be told, but at the same time, I'm not sure the team always chose to devote the extra time wisely. Like the entire split up and jaunt to Nigeria really adds nothing to the narrative. That could have been skipped in favor of adding a few narrative twists. The series of capture and escapes in episode three that would do 70s Doctor Who proud could have been consolidated too, allowing more time to be given to the global invasion building up the artificially engineered conflicts between the team a little more slowly and less abruptly, or simply adding a few more narrative developments into the main storyline, which despite being told over a longer span, really feels a lot like a one episode storyline stretched over three. It doesn't have quite the narrative depth that I'd hoped for from the expanded runtime. that said, Cyberzilla is a wonderful highlight of this series, conceptually brilliant, the perfect dark mirror Mechagodzilla for this series. The scenes of monster attacks are wonderful, and while there could have been more monster against monster action, I suppose it's something we already had in each of these foes original appearance. The, as was mentioned, the drama of Elsie risking alien recontrol is a nice plot point, but could have maybe been expanded a bit, uh, maybe at the expense of cutting out the needless autopilot and escape pod drama that we also didn't need. And uh, here's an idea. Trimming out all of those needless sequences that we've mentioned would either let them do more to actually do something with Cyberzilla, or it would have allowed them to perhaps reintroduce Dr. Perloran, perhaps having learned about a great deal uh, about the aliens on the other side, wherever he disappeared to. And he could arrive at a key moment as Earth's ace in the hole to free heat from one of their predicaments using the alien's knowledge against them and freeing Elsie rather than just having a Monique X Machina solve the captivity and Elsie's mind control and everything else. Like, just a thought. They could have done more with this story if they'd kind of cut out some of the pointless stuff. Regardless, even if Monster Wars wasn't impeccable, and I actually think I like competition a little better, it is a wonderful Destroy All Monsters, like, tribute Spectacle episode, which is packed to the gills with action. And if some of the plotting could have been better, most of the characters really got individual spotlights to shine in this one. I noticed that each of them sort of had their little moment, which, along with the action, is enough to overcome most of the shortcomings of the plot and ensure that this three parter deserves the high reputation that it holds among fandom. Like it has a lot of flaws, but I do think that it does enough right to still deserve high marks.
4: First of all, Andrew, I was waiting for you to bring up Dr. Perloran. I just, I knew it was going to (laughs) happen. But no, I agree with you. I think they should have mentioned him in some way. But that said, uh, I really, really like these three episodes. It was, I had them on DVD as a kid. It was my first exposure to the show and I watched it over and over again. It was, it was just something cool to me about, because, you know, I was still a fan of, still a pretty big fan of the 98 Godzilla at the time. So it was something cool to me to see that version of Godzilla fighting other monsters and having this huge Destroy All Monsters-like story. Um, And I don't know how much of my appreciation for these three episodes is, like, just genuine appreciation or nostalgia. Um, But either way, I really enjoyed revisiting them for this podcast. They just, in my opinion, they just have a genuinely epic feel to them. And while they could have done more with their runtime... I don't know. I just really enjoy them and I view them as, I view this arc as a worthy Godzilla story. The,
1: this three-parter has another Gilligan's Island reference. Uh, Randy makes a joke about Gilligan's Island. Gilligan Force lives.
0: G-Force. A Gilligan podcast. Gilligan! Get I should like to stay on this that island. That brings us life. to episode 18 An Early Frost. Or Cameron Winter's counterattack in Japan.
1: Up to now, I've turned a blind eye, but we're talking unprovoked
0: attacks on innocent civilians. We've been getting reports from all over the tri state area. This is the only one with video documentation. Major, with all due respect, how can we be sure the creature on this tape is Godzilla?
2: Well, it certainly sounds like him.
0: This is written by Craig Miller, a writer who's active from the late 80s to 2016 including credits on the real Ghostbusters, 1990s G.I.
3: Joe,
0: Transformers Beast Wars, Stargate Infinity, and Curious George. As well as being an uncredited marketing consultant, whatever that means, on A New Hope, The Empire Strikes Back, Superman 2, The Dark Crystal, Kroll, The Last Starfighter, The Muppets Take Manhattan, Return to Oz, The Black Cauldron, and many others. In this episode, a chip off the old block? Godzilla shocks everyone by going on a rampage through Manhattan. Perhaps that quality time spent with dear old dad's cyborg zombie corpse really rubbed off on him or all that acting up of late has finally come to a head. Whatever the reason, Hicks has been called in to destroy the beast. He's not the only one. Philippe Roach has returned, instructing Monique that it is time to destroy Godzilla. French intelligence is as convinced as the military that Godzilla's threat can no longer be tolerated. Randy stows away aboard the heat seeker with the two, but is quickly caught and imprisoned. When Godzilla attacks the military team, Ignoring Nick's voice and even missing stepping on Nigel, he manages to elude the military as his parent did. However, when he actually emerges out of the side of the building, now in the form of an orifice covered monstrosity, it becomes clear that a shapeshifter is to blame. But it is even more adept than Godzilla at eluding the military with its chameleon-like abilities. And when Nick spots a telltale piece of technology, it becomes clear Cameron Winters is responsible. The creature escapes into the water, while Philippe prepares to kill Godzilla with a specially-prepared cellular disruptor, Nick and Elsie sneak into Solstice Technologies, unaware of the threat to Godzilla. But Monique, who has seen Godzilla's unusual, drugged reactions, takes action by freeing Randy, who disrupts Philippe's shot. And while he and Elsie tussle, Godzilla engages the chameleon directly in front of the Heat Seeker. Winters reveals that he's engineered the chameleon from Godzilla's DNA, having engineered it specifically to resist the heat ray and defeat Godzilla. This, plus Godzilla's drugged state, has rendered Godzilla decidedly the underdog, and Winters figures that his monster will appear as the hero and be in high demand from foreign governments to purchase their own, after he kills the framed, dangerous Godzilla. Philippe is adamant about his orders, but at the last minute, turns his weapon's final round on the chameleon, saving Godzilla, And Nick confronts Winters, who traps him in a self-destructing boat, escaping as Nick just barely manages to get clear in time. And Philippe extends Monique's assignment with heat indefinitely. So uh, my first note on this one was, wait, they're still cleaning up the original Godzilla 98 Rampage? Yeah, we definitely need to see repercussions from the alien invasion around the globe then.
1: I really enjoyed those Midwestern tourists I thought that was really funny, that scene. Make sure you get the footprint in the shot, Vern. Mm -hmm. Don't you think the Godzilla damage in Flatiron Square was more photogenic? But this is where the creature first landed in Manhattan. Oh, yeah? Yeah, that's what the t-shirt fella
2: said. I absolutely love it for one thing, just because I feel like... One of my favorite underrated world-building things for kaiju films and TV shows and stuff is like the when giant monster stuff has become so mundane it just becomes like a tourist trap kind of stuff like the Godzilla cafe versus Biolante and uh the museum with Trespasser's Head and Pacific Rim so I just love this midwest feel like oh yeah this is where, you, where Godzilla's walking you know that's what the t-shirt guy says that's wonderful to me but I do think there's another reason for it which is the fact that if we're being honest this episode's a lot like cat and mouse where it's more or less a direct sequel to the movie especially given a certain um, insurance salesman who makes an appearance.
4: You know, this this episode has another intro where it's like, yo, Godzilla's attacking, except it's actually not Godzilla, but whatever. And then, you know, when they're talking about it, Randy says, The G-Man doesn't go around wilding for no reason. Sir, we have dealt with this multiple times. There are multiple episodes that start with Godzilla causing a ruckus. And everyone being like, whoa, why is Godzilla fucking destroying shit again? Dude, where have you been? Where have you been?
0: Well, I guess in those he was going after fish, whereas here he was just straight up stomping through the city. But I guess, but it's still dumb. (laughs) It's a fair point. It's
2: also Randy. That man is like the biggest Godzilla stand in the show. Even more than Nick, his literal adopted father.
1: Yeah, he's probably just lying. Yeah, like like going off of what Nick said. So so I mean, this episode, it's both satisfying and frustrating in the sense that it um it brings to a head a sort of ongoing theme, which is like the tension between like Godzilla and like the military and like the public attitude to Godzilla, um and also Heat Team. So it kind of finally brings all that to a head with like the military like like, okay, like, enough is enough. Because there's been a few examples, of, there's been a few episodes where Godzilla has kind of, like, gone, and we talked about this, we touched We touched on this a little bit at the start of this episode. But there's been a few episodes where Godzilla kind of, like, went a little bit crazy, and the military was always like, oh, we may have to, we may have to, like, do something about this, and now it's finally, finally it's too far, and they're they're going to do something, both the military, the U.S. military, and the the French Secret Service. So that's, kind of satisfying that they they're bringing this to a head but it's a little frustrating because i almost wonder if this episode was was out of sync production wise and it was produced prior to the monster wars episodes because like i was wondering why would you do the monster war stuff so early in the show like why would you do, do, do this destroy all monsters thing before the show is even like halfway through and then i thought oh i know it's because they're sort of establishing like, like a new dynamic like they're like they've we've we've ended one phase and we've entered another phase you know the first phase is like what do we do about godzilla we don't really understand what godzilla is all about is he going to turn on us is he not i don't know but then monster wars like establishes okay godzilla really is here to defend us from like much worse things he may go a little crazy sometimes but you know he's by far the lesser of many evils um and also it brings up the monster island concept so it's like okay great We've entered a new dynamic. It's like we've established Godzilla's like like role in the world. And we've got, you know, this Monster Island concept that sort of creates a solution to the mutant problem. But then this episode is like, it feels like none of that even happened. It's like we've just gone back to like like the previous phase where, you know, everyone's worried about Godzilla. So, yeah, it's both satisfying and frustrating. It feels like this episode should have come just before the Monster Wars arc. And maybe, maybe production-wise, it did, and it just for some reason was aired in this in this order. I don't
2: know. I agree. It is very odd to have Godzilla, who's definitely proved he's a hero, and the mutant situation has definitely been solved more or less, suddenly be hunted. Though I do feel like it might just be a this is one step too far thing because he's like officially attacking. I don't know.
0: Well, I did love that. Just like in the movie during that early footage partly to disguise the whole chameleon shapeshifter thing but the only thing that we see is godzilla's feet which was really a nice stylistic callback to the 98 film
4: i agree with james that this episode should have uh, happened before the monster wars arc not even just because of like the military's like untrustingness of godzilla but also because like now that the Monster Island thing is is a thing, Hicks could have been like instead of being like, "Hey, let's kill Godzilla." He could have just been like, "Hey, let's move him to Monster Island where all these other even more like intentionally destructive monsters are being kept and not being killed." You know, like it just doesn't this episode's placement just doesn't make sense.
0: That's a fair point, especially after he he did save the world in such a high-profile way. It is right. It is a little bizarre directly after that episode where they're like, yeah, we might need them. Yeah, guys, no, you, you make a fair point. I hadn't considered that, but it it is bizarre to have that as literally the direct episode afterwards.
3: Hmm. Well, and what I was going to say, too, is that your main villain in the following episode, following Cyber Godzilla, is another sort of pseudo-Godzilla. What is this, the Heisei series? Yeah right exactly. I mean, you go from three episodes. I mean, I guess Cyber Godzilla was not in the first one, but like you go from two big episodes of Cyber Godzilla, and then you throw in the Chameleon, and it's like if I don't know, I was really self aware of it this time. So I do wonder if there's something to James's comment about production order, um, and maybe it was supposed to be done earlier or later because those two Cyber Godzilla and the Chameleon back to back feels really, really way too similar to be a coincidence. Yeah, I mean
0: the production order seems to be correct in terms of of when it was produced but the script may have intended to enter production sooner but yeah it mentioned a certain insurance adjuster and uh and it it was nice to have him again but it kind of followed the trend of just like audrey and animal like i'd be really happy to see him back if this was live action but this cartoon version just kind of comes off as kind of a jerk here like not necessarily unreasonable for his his position and his orders, but still just pretty callous and unpleasant for most of the episode. Like, I, I just, I don't like him as much as I like Philippe in the movie. There's none of that likability until the last one second of the episode. He was played here, by the way, by Keith Zarabajka who, among many other roles, has played the profiteering Visago in Star Wars Rebels, Laserbeak in Transformers Dark of the Moon, and minor roles on Star Trek Voyager and Enterprise, plus just an absolute ton of voiceover work in video games. Like, he's been, he's been all kinds of characters that you know in like franchise like superhero or sci-fi video games where they didn't want to pay for the original actor to come back. So they just had someone do an impression of it like dozens of those. So he's, he's had a pretty busy voiceover career.
1: Yeah, Philippe is a cold bastard in this episode. Um, he's basically he's basically no longer Philippe. He's uh, he's now. Um, what's that movie with with Jean Reno uh, Leon, the professional. <laughs> he's, he's that guy now. <laughs> also, I take issue with the whole, like, I have my orders thing when, when Monique is trying to reason with him and he's still trying to kill Godzilla. Like, Philippe is not a soldier. Philippe is a secret agent. And, you know, listen, I'm not a secret agent. I'm sure I don't know a lot about secret agents because they're, like, you know, secret. But I I feel like part of their job is to, like, you know, assess new information and then, like, report back and like respond according to like a changed circumstance you know like they're not supposed to just mindlessly carry out the orders like they have a they have a stronger mandate than that so i thought that was kind of dumb because like the the new creature is right there that's worthy of investigating and like reassessing it was right there and it looked a lot like godzilla uh so i thought that was kind of like bad
4: writing uh you could say he's philippe in name only pino
0: let's not (laughs) (laughs) uh, It's French. Wouldn't that be like Pinot? Is that a a fine kind of wine? But uh, I wish
4: I had literally anything to say about Philippe because I want to be excited that Philippe is back but
0: I don't have anything to say about Philippe and that's all I have to say about Philippe. Well it really is just like every time we get Animal back and it's like yay except not really because it's not really the same character I was going to say he's more Philippe
2: roach then philippe roach nice uh yeah i gotta agree with the common assessment here he's just a more jerky version of philippe i will say i kind of disagree with you james just because i feel like he was the kind of like i have my orders to do this so i'm gonna focus on that i'll do some kind of like stuff that's needed here and there but i'm not gonna just like, he was pretty dedicated to his cause, destroy the nest, destroy all evidence. The whole Godzilla tax chase was really the only time he really deviated from that plan. But yeah, I'm glad to have him back. I think it's interesting to see him. I do like that he kind of have, gives Monique a what-you-are-in-the-dark moment, where we see that even despite everything she says, she really does believe Godzilla is better alive than dead. And, uh, I do want to bring up, um, did France basically invent the oxygen destroyer in this universe? That
0: was exactly what I had written down. This is very oxygen destroyer-ish. And the effects were horrific when they use it.
2: I can't wait for the finale where they're like, Monique, I am afraid we were interfering with, we we created these genetically engineered creatures called a Dorat and brought them to Polynesia. And, well, uh, Godzilla, would we borrow the Godzilla?
0: We promised we'd give him the French roast. (laughs) I have to say you talked about, though, uh, uh, Monique getting a chance to show her sort of her her inner what she she really, truly believes. And I, I did like the character touch for her that she can't bring herself to act against her superior directly, but she can go with the loophole of freeing Randy so that he can interfere with her supervisor directly. I just thought that was a a nice character touch like she will not attack him. She will not lay hands on him. But she will go and free someone else who can.
4: So, uh, you know, this episode brings back Cameron Winter and everything. Also, is it winter or winters? Don't
0: know, don't care.
4: All right, fair enough. Um, I mean, I have it written down as winters. Okay. Which is funny because I think the last time we talked about him, you were calling him winters. Or you were calling him winter and I was calling him winters. And now you have it written down as winters and I have it written down as winter. So somewhere we swapped. I think it is winter, yeah. Okay. Like I was saying with the Monster Wars thing, it's just cool that the show will just take things from other episodes and bring them back. um, Because they don't really have to do that. They could just keep writing completely different things every week. But it's nice that they'll just have recurring characters and monsters like that.
0: He felt so different to me in this episode. I had to check and see if it was the same voice actor. But it still was. Winter's went... Full Bond villain, really,
2: really quick. <laughs> like, not even, like, a little bit. Like, no, he's straight up a Bond villain. <laughs> like, secret lair, mocking message, getting away just in time. It's bizarre.
1: Well, and, like, his plan is, like, dumb. You know? Like, like he's framing Godzilla but how lucky was he that it was a like a foggy day that day and no nobody nobody looked up and saw like the giant like like stranger things mouth on on that thing right it would have been a lot smarter if he just actually cloned godzilla which you know presumably would have been easier to do than to like mess with the genetics and make it different and also his plan like he's talking he's when when nick confronts him in his like weird boat or whatever he seems to talk as if like you know all he's got to do is like is like get rid of Nick and then like you know he's you know he can continue with his plan but his play, he's already exposed at that point like Nick is already like as soon as the little receiver is seen in the thing's head and Hicks sees that like that's it the jig is up there's nothing there's nothing winter can do he's already exposed but he seems to like act as if he's not yet exposed when nick confronts him he's like he's it's a, a terrible plan and uh a not a smart guy for like a for an evil genius he's not very smart
2: well they never really are to be honest i will say i kind of got the plan a little bit just cuz i thought he was basically saying yeah i'm going to get captured but i'll just like Waited it out and make the chameleons in secret, like on the side,
0: but that's maybe just in me. Speaking of uh, Cameron Winter and his, you know, his relationship with Nick, that bit where Nick is like, same old, same old. Like they ask, like, how are you doing? I thought that was one of the most pleasant lines we've ever gotten from Nick. Like he's seldom been as likable as he was in that one bit where he's like, oh, he's pleasantly bantering with somebody. That's a change. He's not angry. He's not yelling. He's just kind of being a little bit funny and charming. I didn't know Nick could do that.
2: Yeah, yeah, no, you're right. That was good. That was good. Regrettably, Nick is so awful that only a remorseless, sociopathic, evil genius who wants to create genetically modified monster army is the only person to be clever with.
0: I also just really loved the, the subtle little touch there that Godzilla not stepping on Nigel was one of the signs that it wasn't really him. Yeah. (laughs) Like there'd already been hints, but I thought that that was a very nice touch that it's like when he, when Nigel survived, you're like, that's not Godzilla. Something's wrong here.
4: My only last thought is that I think chameleon is cool and gross and that's it.
0: Yeah. Chameleon is really disturbing. That, that was some next level horror there. (laughs) Yeah. Chameleon's
2: my favorite character in the series. Like, Bar none. I absolutely love it. I hope we get another fake Godzilla clone like Orga or something that's this (laughs) f***ed up in the future. He's so cool. And I do feel like his whole chameleon thing might be a nod to the 1998 script where Godzilla 1998 has chameleon powers.
1: Yeah, I totally forgot to write anything about chameleon. But yeah, he's cool. I really like the chameleon powers. Those are neat. And I like his uh, freaky ass head. I got two two things left to say about this episode. Uh, One... Randy mentions Interpol at one point. He seems to think that Philippe is from Interpol, which, like, Philippe is not from Interpol. He's from the French government. I forget the name of the actual French Secret Service that Philippe names in 98, but that's where he's from. But maybe in this universe, Interpol is, like, also, like, a badass, like, agent-sending organization that it is in the Showa Godzilla universe. Secondly, there's a moment in this episode where... Is it Chameleon? something knocks Godzilla over and Godzilla's head hits a bridge and he barely scratches that thing. You know, if that was a, if that was an office tower, he would have gone straight through, but he see, he just kind of, he just kind of makes a little like a little like dent in the bridge. So once again, confirming that bridges are the kryptonite to, the, to this Godzilla, because Godzilla can't do anything against bridges. Bridges are indestructible. Um, so when they rebuild the cities um, after the alien invasion, they should just build everything as bridges. They should be bridge cities. People should live in bridges. All business should be conducted in bridges.
2: Well, the Tachyon's did like our architecture, so...
1: That's true. That's true. They were probably admiring the bridges.
2: <laughs> I saw the intentional nod that this script about an evil third party creating a fake Godzilla to frame him was, you know, intentional. Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla seventy four. My final note is: I do love the idea that this episode sets up for the future that Monique has officially been ousted from the French Secret Service and is now just a has been basically been forced to work with Heat for trying to interfere with this. I think that's a really good idea, and I really hope they do something with her character going forward. But can we just talk about that face they end on with Sleep? What is that face? That's not a good face. It's so weird. It feels like something from one of those random, like, VHS knockoff you find in the 90s.
0: So in this episode, uh, we did get a down,
2: down, down. Down, down, down. I would like to note that we are now at 10 for the, Nick, for
0: the screen count with another go, go, go. Go, go, go. But just keeping the runnings even, we also got a Nigel death, which I thought was one of his better screams, one of his uh, his funnier screams. Because I mean, sometimes they're just a little wimpy, but this one was really full throated, you know? Aah! Yeah, it was good. So, final thoughts for this episode? I
4: like it. I thought the monster is cool. Um, I thought it's cool to have a couple recurring characters from the movie and the series. But other than that, I don't really have much else to say about it. It's not too memorable, but it's not a bad episode at all. I don't
1: have much to say about this episode, but I do think it's pretty good. I do think Cameron Winters is uh, kind of a moron, but he's he's still a fun villain. I, I, I enjoy that kind of cartoony, James Bond-esque villain, so I didn't mind so much. Um, yeah, yeah don't have a lot to say but it's it's an above average episode it's pretty pretty fun some cool stuff
2: i kind of love this episode and kind of prefer it to monster wars i'm just gonna say it it's not the best but for me this episode just has a lot of really great elements that work together much more fluid than the monster wars trilogy it's definitely one of my favorites great monster great idea i like it
3: uh it's the episode's cool it's, I don't really have much to say, like you know, like anyone else, really. Um, it's probably my favorite of this batch. The community is really cool. I love the, the atmosphere in the opening. Like it's, it's a simple, straightforward episode, it, and um, yeah, it's cool. It's entertaining.
0: This episode is notable for me for several reasons. I mean, it features the first reappearance of Cameron Winters, who is cheated out by only one story of being the first returning villain in the series. It features the first, and for all I know, only appearance of Philippe in animated form, and actually showcases Monique and the chain of command that she's bound to, and some of her changing attitudes toward Godzilla from her time with Heat. But on a more personal note, I purchased Godzilla the series on DVD about five or six years ago and started watching it through with my wife. We made it about halfway through the series, and when we were watching this episode, we stopped partway, maybe five, ten minutes into this episode. And we, uh, for whatever reason, whether we lost interest, life got busy, I don't remember, but we never started it again. So I had never seen the ending of this episode, which started with a particularly upsetting premise, turning Philippe into much the same villain of the piece that he kind of starts the Godzilla 2 treatment as. And while I assumed that eventually a doppelganger created by Cameron Winter would be revealed, based on the title and Monique would choose not to kill Godzilla, I never knew for sure how it was going to end. So it's very satisfying to me to finally get a resolution to that unfinished storyline. So even beyond that, this episode marks a gateway. Beyond this episode, this will all be new to me. Everything thus far has had little tinges of distant memory on how things would turn out. But now, except for little spoilers I've gotten from our discussions on these episodes or wiki entries while I was looking up trivia for the previous episodes that mentioned things that would happen in the future, this is pretty much a blank slate. I will be seeing all the remaining episodes for the first time, and that's pretty exciting to me. So as for the execution of this episode itself, what an action-packed episode. In some ways, it felt more cinematic, more twist-filled, and more plot-heavy than the Monster Wars three-parter. This is one of those episodes like Cat and Mouse, to me, that seemed to fit in more story than should reasonably fit within a 22-minute episode. Winter's plot profit-motivated plan follows the same skewed logic as his last appearance, though he's grown a bit more insufferable. He makes for a good villain. While Philippe, in an antagonistic role, takes the full Godzilla 2 treatment arc from hostile to protecting Godzilla, albeit not quite as unreservedly as in that treatment. By the end, in his reunion with Nick, he comes off a lot more likable than his initial bullying appearance would have led me to believe. Added that an awesome monster with an incredible death scene from a horrifying weapon and i found this one to be a pretty strong follow-up maybe even a better storyline than the epic three-parter that came before it
4: i also just want to say really quick that the monster wars trilogy is the last bit of the series that i am also personally familiar with so yeah for me too going forward everything is new territory which is exciting
0: we're off the edge of the map here there be dragons but only if we're lucky.
4: <laughs> Some of the few pre-existing Godzilla content that I haven't seen. So I'm I'm excited to get into the rest.
0: Alright, that brings us to episode 19. What a long, strange trip it's been. Or Death Zone, Godzilla's Body in Japan, which is the most zone fighter-y title of this entire series. It is, and it's also a great title. It is, it really is. <laughs>
1: looks like both of our boys have been bitten by the same bacterial
0: bug you mean he's really sick he's never really sick this episode was written by Jana King Kalichman a writer who after this lone episode of the series went on to focus mostly on young children's entertainment as frequent scriptwriter for Dragon Tales most notably along with a number of other shows that I am not mentioning, because then I'd be obligated to include their theme music, and I don't want to bother looking up the themes for Candyland, The Great Lollipop Adventure, Strawberry Shortcake, Pound Puppies, and my friends Tigger and Pooh, so I'm just not going to mention them. In this episode, Godzilla battles a giant mutated bacterium, a spherical gelatinous monstrosity that manages to pierce his skin and badly infect him. Godzilla manages to emerge triumphant then staggers away to collapse under sea and craven is clearly also infected from his close contact nigel observes human-sized blobs being attacked by antibodies and elsie proposes going fantastic voyage and traveling inside godzilla to destroy the enormous germs directly while craven collapses from his infection elsie begins working on a cure but it won't be ready in time for godzilla so Monique and Nick take a mini-sub in through Godzilla's gaping wound. However, when they're swamped by bacterium, the mini-sub pierces the vein wall and is lost to Godzilla's stomach acid, and Nick and Monique are forced to go on foot. Low on air supply, they elect to make the perilous journey through his heart to reach an exit in time. Randy is unable to find the remains of the bacterium to synthesize an antidote. It appears that the giant germ has survived its seeming demise. While there's enough residue to secure a cure for Craven. The Heat Seeker comes under attack from the bacterium, which only faked its death. Craven comes to in time to maneuver them out of danger. Meanwhile, Nick and Monique, low on oxygen, engage in battle with the bacterium at the site of Godzilla's brain stem itself. The bacterium makes for the New York reservoir, while the Heat Seeker keeps it at bay and Elsie synthesizes a large batch of the custom antibiotic. And when a revived Godzilla arrives to engage in round two, it distracts the bacterium long enough for Craven to kamikaze pilot a speedboat full of cure into the creature's mouth, killing it. And Monique and Nick manage to make their exit out Godzilla's nostrils via a kaiju-sized sneeze.
4: I like that this episode starts on a monster fight. I think that's cool. I don't think the show has done that yet. But I enjoyed that.
1: Yeah, it's cool that the show uh, opens in the action man this episode is like i kind of love it but i also kind of hate it and i think we'll get into that uh probably in a bit but like this episode and like look godzilla is always fantastical like none of it ever really makes sense but this episode kind of like especially super doesn't make sense yeah i'll just leave it there for now but but there's
0: this episode is like wild I have to say, I think the Bacterium monster is pretty unique, both design and concept-wise. Like, that's a cool idea. I was already complaining about what a tiny thing an iguana is to come up to kaiju size. Like, a Bacterium is even worse. It is, like, multiplied billions of times its original size. But it's such a fun, unique idea that hasn't really been done that much that I kind of like it. Like, you get a little bit of bacteria going macro-sized in Star Trek. But that's about it. That said, in that opening sequence, I mean, I didn't even realize it was foreshadowing what was going to happen in the plot. But Craven does not seem nearly concerned enough about basically being deluged by pure virus germ. Like, there's no way that's not getting inside your mouth, your nose, your eyes. Like, there's no way you're not getting sick from that. And I feel like Craven should have been wary of that already, and so should the rest of them. Like... This is 100% pure virus, and every inch of your skin is covered in it. That's not good. But it's just like, oh, ha ha ha, Craven got slimed. What? He collapsed? He's sick? Really? Yeah, really.
2: Yeah, 100%. Bacillus, I think it's called, is a decent kind. You know, again, I feel like it's a neat idea. It is kind of funny to think of how a bacteria got that big because I don't really remember a reason in the episode. But they they treat this literal, living, walking biohazard so, like, haphazardly. Like, it literally dissolves into the water, and they're just like, well, we have to keep it away from the main water supply. No! It's in the water! That's a contaminant! Get the CDC guys! Ugh, it's, yeah, it's very very odd.
1: But is it is it that big a deal though? Cuz if it's a, if it's if it's one bacterium shot up to macro size, then when it dissolves, it's just in pieces, right? It's not like dissolving into lots of bacteria because it's one bacteria.
2: Well, yes, but the we can see from Godzilla and Craven, it's a bacteria that is incredibly strong, like it takes them both out pretty easily with just like a little bit of goo. Yeah. And now it's just in an entire uninhabited lake that has civilization close by because there's like a power plant.
1: Yeah. And I I guess we do see that the goo kind of perpetuates more of it.
2: Yeah. Like they they ignore it and just rebuild itself.
1: But I'm not sure why the ones that uh, go into Godzilla are like jellyfish sized. And then the ones that presumably are in Craven are like presumably microscopic again.
0: Because one came from a splash and the other came from a slash. That makes oh. all the
1: difference. Okay, yeah.
2: Yeah, okay. you're right.
0: No, that actually makes zero sense. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that. but I would only assume that
2: it's like a destroyer thing where the whole colony is sentient and they can like... The more it eats, it can split into different sized versions of itself.
0: The realistic like ending of this episode is that instead of Craven collapsing, they're all like, oh no, he's sick. Craven should literally explode and a giant germ, basically the size of him, should just be flopping around on the ground and it's like the most horrific episode of any cartoon show ever.
2: It should be like Alien. It should be like a chestburster. <laughs> this show could have gone Resident Evil really, really quick. Honestly, I would have loved that episode, just like heat in a city infected with bacterium zombies and like a
0: giant Godzilla infected running around trying to find a cure. That would have been cool. In that Craven collapsing scene, Randy is back to snacking again with the implication that he constantly is. So it's like, okay, guys, I know you're really trying to sell this as a thing. You've shown it to us in two out of 19 episodes. But I guess this is his constant trait. I did think it was kind of a funny idea that Craven is kind of seen as a hypochondriac because of his constant sniffles. So no one expects him to actually get sick. Like, I thought that was actually kind of a fun idea. And I did like the idea that he still hates Randy, even in his, like, unconscious delirium. There are some nice character bits for Craven in this one. I feel so bad for
4: Craven, man. Like, <laughs> nobody really respects him except maybe Nick. And that just kind of, kind of bums me out because like he doesn't do anything wrong, and you know like he he goes through this episode and he's crazy sick, and then as soon as he's conscious again, Elsie's like, oh well, I guess you can go. Uh, in I guess I guess you can go be the one to deliver the cure to Godzilla or whatever it is. I can't remember what they have him do at the end. Or does
2: he throw the cure at the big? What does he
4: do at the
0: end again? I forget. He drives a
2: boat of it into the monster. Yeah, and he yeah.
0: gets—he actually gets an action hero line where he's like, "You make me sick," and yeah. then jumps out of the boat, which is hilarious. It's, it's a great line, and it's—I it's, feel like he must have still been delirious because it's not very craven, but no. it was a lot of fun. I just feel bad
4: for him because he goes through the—he basically nearly dies in this episode, and. Else he's just like, all right, get out there. Go face the monster yourself. And it's like, yo, is this guy like even your friend? Like you're
2: all so terrible to him. I do love the idea that delirious, nearly dying craven is an action hero. That's like his opposite self.
4: I love when they give him the action hero bits. And I'm glad they don't do it like every episode, though, because then it wouldn't be like special. Because it's so different from how his character normally is. And I just think it's really great whenever he pulls that out of himself. Um, and I just find him to be the most interesting character in the show. And that's a big part of why.
1: I like that Craven has, I think it's Craven. He's got like a tricorder, essentially. hes got, He had like a little scanning thingy that like just told him immediately that the, that the the... The bacteria was Bacillus. So I thought that was fun.
2: I was going to say, I find it interesting. This is the second episode in a row where the main Kaiju villain is killed by the humans instead of
0: Godzilla. So basically, all of these episodes should not have been one right after another. Like, they're all too similar to each other in different ways. Yeah, terrible timing, guys. While we're still on character bits, I do love that Monique sees through Nick's reverse psychology like right away. Like, doesn't even. She, she's not fooled for a second. I thought that was a nice touch. But she still falls for it. <laughs> right. She's exactly. Crazy. That, too. On the note of
2: another character, am I the one who thinks Nigel's doing an intentional Doogie Howser thing there? Like, when he's stuck in the lungs and he's like, Bad nurse we're going to need the large box of band aids. He's not really a doctor.
0: He just plays one on TV. For some reason, that sounds exactly like Neil Patrick Harris doing Doogie Howser for me. Could be. I just had that as a doctor, but yeah, c- could be. We do also get uh, a Nigel death and uh, and we get a go, go, go. So this is a nicely rounded episode. It's a fully balanced breakfast, but you don't want to be eating breakfast while watching this episode.
2: Not at all. This episode is disgusting.
0: So let's make that 11. Go, go, go! We should maybe talk about those uh, those internal body sections, because, yeah, that, that, that was my main uh, remaining note. Uh, Blood dripping and then pouring into Godzilla's stomach is really disturbing and easily the most disgusting thing I've ever seen in this show. And then Monique and Nick and then Craven literally submerged in mucus.
3: This is a disgusting episode. Well, it's nice to see that someone else out there other than Evan appreciates Gamera vs. Jagger because that's pretty much what we have Um, is another Gamera vs. Jagger, but Godzilla and bacteria.
1: There's even miniature versions of the monster in, in God, Godzilla, like there were in Jiger, and a little
4: submarine thing. Yeah, wow. yeah,
1: true. Wow. I thought the submarine thing was cool. I wish, I wish that had uh, stayed a, a little longer. Okay, but yeah. Okay, so the Fantastic Voyage stuff. I've been thinking about it way too much. It doesn't work at all. Like they go into Godzilla, and it's like it's like they're suddenly microscopic like they're they're like in his like veins and they're like in his bloodstream and they're seeing like 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 white blood cells and stuff but like that doesn't work like i know godzilla's giant but he's not so giant that you could see his white blood cells say godzilla is like the height of a human how big would a human be a human would be like i don't know like 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 a cup or like a like a Lego man maybe if we're being if we're being really, really generous. Probably more like the Lego man than the cup. Okay, so let's say the Lego man. A Lego man could not like do a fantastic voyage in your body. He's way too big. The Lego man is still way too big to do that. Imagine a Lego man. That
0: that would be a stroke. That would be some arterial blockage right there.
1: You would just die. Yeah, exactly. You would just die. (laughs) There's no way a Lego man would be able to crawl around and like look at your white blood cells attacking like germs and stuff like it's just like I get that Godzilla's giant and I feel like in some sense it was only a matter of time before this franchise did a fantastic voyage story, but you would still have to be microscopic. You would. It just it just you can't. You can't just climb into Godzilla and like suddenly it's a magic school bus episode. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> I know it's dumb and I know it's a kid show and I know it shouldn't matter, but like I've I've been obsessing over this for like two days. Like it's just it's just so so stupid. Um and so it like so doesn't work. Yeah,
2: I don't know. What do you guys think? I agree. Fully. Oh, like- yeah. The scaling is off. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but this is the one thing in the entire genre I've never been able to swallow. I've always hated this episode since I was a kid for this exact reason. It's just. A blue whale has a heart the size of a car. That doesn't mean you can climb into its vessels. It doesn't make sense, especially with a Godzilla that is notably one of the smallest and fastest in the entire series. Like, when they were planning this for Godzilla vs. Mechanicong in the 90s, it, it 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 works slightly better with a 100 meter Godzilla, but not a 55 meter one. It's I I yeah I I hate it.
4: I don't really care about the scale. I just think it's disgusting. I don't like looking at it. And also, I want to acknowledge that they totally give Godzilla internal bleeding, and there are no consequences. They go in there to fix Godzilla's brain, and then
1: they start shooting lasers in his brain. <laughs> Um, That's not going to be good for his brain if you don't, if if a few of those laser blasts.
2: They literally say one missed shot and he's paralyzed and then they keep shooting like crazy again.
1: Yeah. And like, like I know, I know Nick is like super rad and can do anything, but, but I, I don't know if Nick is like a, I don't know if he's an ace shot uh, with a laser gun. Um, they might as well have just pumped Godzilla just full of LSD. Like, it's, it's going to have the same result in terms of, like, the holes it's going to put, put in his brain.
2: Now that'd be a movie.
0: Yeah, well, they do make a big point of, like, oh, if we hit his brainstem, he'll be dead. And then they proceed to shoot, like, a hundred times and just not miss any of their shots. Like, really? I could buy that from Monique, but Nick, do you, does anyone even remember Matthew Broderick in the movie? Like, the worm guy that thinks that's a lot of fish is now a crack shot. Maybe there was a missing subplot in that episode where he actually loves playing laser tag in his spare time or something. But, like, he's such a man of action now, there's no reason he should be a a crack laser rifle shot that never misses even once, which he literally has to be For this plot not to end with Godzilla dying.
1: There is, though, one thing in this episode that I I actually found kind of clever, and that was at the end when Godzilla is summoning his, like, atomic breath, and you see it, like, kind of, like, travel up through his, like, nasal cavity or wherever they are, Um, and, like, they have to, like, duck while the fire is, like, passing over them. I thought that was actually kind of fun.
2: Oh, I hated that kneeling down in a friggin' like a little bit of snot would not save you from atomic fire
1: okay okay yeah they they would be dead they would still be dead
4: but but it's 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 the least It to my mind it's the least nonsensical thing the only thing that bugs me about it is that you don't see it come out of his nose
2: yeah are they implying that his it just reroutes through his nose into his mouth
4: i mean it could do that it could do that there's a
1: direct line between the nose and the mouth haven't you ever hawked a loogie before maybe maybe when godzilla uses his atomic breath he's always like just summoning a loogie it's the same it's the
0: same thing (laughs) Ew! see everything about this episode is disgusting
2: (laughs) uh, this is made godzilla the franchise worse thank you james this episode makes godzilla worse oh no (laughs) i thought the whole if he's eating radiation isn't he he vomiting argument was bad enough but this is wait a minute no i can't even be that hold up hold up hold up he's a marine iguana uh huh. Godzilla, the marine iguana. Mar- green iguanas have separated nose and mouth palates. Oh. That's how they keep the salt water out of their bodies. How the hell could he get the fire from his nose with mouth Well,
0: but he's a, he's, he's a mutated iguana that eats fish. The other thing about marine iguanas I read is that they actually don't asexually reproduce or breathe fire. <laughs> so <laughs> there, are, there are already few liberties being taken.
1: Take that, Roland Emmerich. How did you not foresee any of this?
4: You idiot.
0: (sighs) We talked about how this episode, you know, two episodes in a row where the humans defeat the monsters. But the weird thing about this, so we've had episodes that were shuffled around a little, right? Competition would have come after monster wars and everything. And, and bug out, which again, makes the whole rebelling part even weirder because there, it almost seemed like it was leading up to monster wars and in the airing order, it would have all happened after monster wars. Maybe his hanging out with his dad was a bad influence on him. But uh, this one is episode 19. In the airing order, this was held back until episode 28. It was the seventh episode of the second season for some reason. Like, this one was held back massively long. Maybe because it was gross. Probably.
4: Uh, I literally have one last note, and it's that You know, at the end, Godzilla, like, sneezes because there were people crawling around in his nose. And first of all, I'm pretty sure it's the only time we ever see Godzilla sneeze in anything ever. And second of all, uh, I really hate the trope of big fantasy animal sneezes on person and now they're covered in snot. Uh, I don't like it. I hate it very much. It's disgusting and it's never funny. I just think it's gross. And there was a rumor back in the day that Mother was going to do that in King of the Monsters to uh, Madison. And I'm
3: so glad that didn't happen. I just want to say that there is one time that it is funny. and That's the Jurassic Park. I still don't find it funny. I find it so gross, but that's not a fantasy animal. That's
4: just an animal that's extinct. Oh, he's got a point. Oh, James has a point. James wins. Did you specify fantasy or just large? I said I said fantasy.
0: Let's go to the instant replay.
4: Uh, I really hate the trope of big fantasy animal sneezes on person, and now they're covered in snot.
3: Okay, well, technically they're not real dinosaurs because they're mixed with frog DNA. So, oh, so they are Parker.
0: fantasy creatures. Oh, Parker with the comeback.
3: <laughs> This is a battle of the century. <laughs> Listen, I'm, I'm going to go back to sleep. I'm going to go back to sleep, but I just wanted to acknowledge that <laughs> the Brachiosaurus sneeze is wonderful. No, I disagree. It's gross. And you're just a cranky old man.
0: I beg your pardon. That is my title, not his.
3: <laughs> Once
2: again, can we all be in agreement that that's 90, 1998 Godzilla failed something Jurassic Park did way better a couple of years ago? I don't think it did it better. I don't think it did it well at all. I think
3: it's gross. I think you no need to go back what. and watch Jurassic Park.
4: I Well, you're right, but it's gross. It's gonna grow. It's gonna make me throw up. This is the greatest debate in the history of the fandom.
3: And Ghostbusters. You need to watch Ghostbusters. I will not watch Ghostbusters.
0: Whoa, Nick! Now th- that is cutting off your nose to spite your face.
4: Nick, I understand that it's late and you're probably
1: tired, <laughs> but
2: that is not okay.
0: I am. I'm so. I'm so
2: ready to be done. Look what you've done to us! What a long, strange trip it has become.
3: Look what you've done. That is very much not flush.
2: I'm glad. Did you
4: just wake up and choose violence? If flush is right, I want to be wrong.
1: <laughs> if, if flush is right, I want to. I want to be a broken toilet. <laughs>
4: <laughs> wow. <laughs> I don't have anything left to say about this episode. Oh, God. <laughs> I told you it was a train wreck. We've got off the rails.
0: It's 1030. I'm ready to go to sleep. So final thoughts on what was indeed a long, strange, and very gross journey.
1: Yeah, I don't know, man. It's weird. It's a weird, gross episode that uh, stands up to even less scrutiny than the average kaiju, uh, average kaiju adventure. Uh, This is like, I don't want to say it's my least favorite because it's at least like weird enough to be interesting, um, but it's not a it's not a great episode. the The bacteria thing's cool though.
4: I liked it well enough. I liked how different it was from the usual episode, but I found it gross and hard to watch. So I'm probably not going to revisit any revisit it anytime soon.
2: This was a valid attempt to do a classic sci fi plot that Godzilla has never touched, but. Boy, in my opinion, did it just crash and burn. Not a fan. Might be my least favorite in the series. I'm going to have to see as we go on. This episode's
3: fine. I said pretty much nothing this entire time, but honestly, I, there's, I didn't really have much to add that you guys weren't already saying. Um, I think I think it has a, some pretty high highs, and I think it has some pretty low lows. Like I kind of agree with Brendan that, and and everyone else too, that the, the, all the Fantastic Voyage stuff is, is just completely ridiculous and odd and it doesn't really fit with the way the show has really been but the giant germ kaiju is really cool and really creative and really unique so i, I sort of land in sort of like a middle ground i'm like it's cool not the best not the worst it's fine i think it's memorable If anything else, whether that's good or bad, your mileage may vary, but I I think if nothing else, it is a memorable episode.
0: This was another really strong, plot-heavy episode full of visual spectacle. Both these episodes after Monster Wars have in a lot of ways impressed me more than the three-parter itself. That said, it is a disgusting episode, really unpleasant and just disgusting and visceral to a very off-putting degree. It's nice to see Randy caring. The creature design is very strong. The action is quite lively. But the stomach-turning elements keep this one from quite getting my highest rank.
2: Even though I don't like this episode, it does have some good plot stuff. And I do love the characters. I think the characters get a lot of good stuff to do. Especially Craven, the surprising badass.
1: Oh, oh, another thing. It doesn't matter how big the animal is. The cells wouldn't be bigger. There would just be more cells, you know? So you'd have to be... The exact same amount of like microscopic to, to to crawl around inside that animal it wouldn't it wouldn't matter that it was James. giant i'm just saying James. I'm just saying I'm just saying the James. cells would be the same size James. there'd just be more of them i'm just <laughs> James I'm just saying. A fan.
3: <laughs> I want to go to bed, James. James's bedtime. (laughs) We are all in the the delirious. We're entering uh, Gamma versus Giron territory.
1: (laughs) What are you you talking about? It's seven thirty. It's only seven thirty. You guys are wimps.
4: I'm
3: so jealous. (laughs) Oh my god! I wish I lived on the west coast.
0: I'm so jealous. Although we had four Nigel deaths, only two came with screams, which brings our total to a really rather disappointing nine. That now officially has us at less than half of the episodes with Nigel Death Screams. So where is Nick Teatopolis at? I believe he's at 11
2: now, potentially 12 if we count Nigel sort of thing in Monster Wars Part
3: 1. It counts.
0: It counts. I think it counts. Okay, then 12. He's at 12. This is a sad state of affairs. He's already at 25% more than Nigel Death Screams sickening sickening
4: so that'll wrap up our discussion of this batch of godzilla the series episodes thank you so much for listening and if you want to get into contact with us to give us some feedback about this episode or any of the others you can follow us on twitter and instagram at g-force you can like us on facebook at facebook.com slash g-force or just type into the Facebook search bar, g a Kaiju Podcast, or you can email us at gforcekaijupod at gmail.com. And if you'd like, you can also leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'll read out any review we get on the show, and you can also rate us on Spotify if you'd like. Again, thank you so much for listening.
0: This brings us to the uh, the section of the episode that is always the most exciting, the most spine-tingling, the most thrilling, as I prepare to fire up the random number generator. Will we finally get a King Kong movie that we don't do as part of a series of something else? Perhaps the long-awaited Latitude Zero will finally make its appearance. Or we'll just land on a random, like, Power Rangers movie with our luck.
4: I hope we get Rampage. And I don't really have a reason for you. It would just be different. And I kind of hope that's what we get.
0: All right, random number generator, be kind. The generator is running. (laughs) We have a result. It is one entry. One before latitude zero. Latitude zero is number 45. And this landed on 44.
3: Mhm. Yeah.
0: Pick your side, team white or team green because I mean, we're going war of the gargantuas. Oh, oh I really
4: Oh, I don't know. I've never, I've never seen this. That I don't own it. I need oh, to figure dude. out how to watch the the sub because I can only find the dub on the internet. Nick, it's on the uh, Criterion streaming service. But is it dubbed though? Cuz everywhere oh. I find it online it's just the dub. I I think, I think it, it is the dub. It is the dub. Uh, I'm going to have to fork out some dollars.
0: So be sure to join us for that interesting episode as a number of us find ways to fill that little gap in our collection that out-of-print availability has left that uh, this podcast is now forcing us to fill. And uh, hopefully another very interesting discussion. But until that time, we are going to sign off by revealing uh, some of the other monsters that were attacking cities off screen during the events of
3: Monster Wars. This has been Parker and during the great monster war of 1998, citizens of Los Angeles slept in a cold sweat, completely terrified of the giant ants known as them.
4: So I've been Nick and over in Copenhagen, those poor citizens were of course being attacked by none other than Reptilicus himself.
2: I've been Brendan, and as the Tachyon invasion raged across the world, a lone ape slept on an island, not caring. Even if this is a different franchise, he still can't be bothered with that kind of sh-
1: This has been James, and during the Great Monster War of 1999, South Korea was attacked by a giant dinosaur known as Gary who was especially imposing because bullets and missiles sailed straight
0: through his CGI. This has been Andrew, and during the great Tachyon invasion of 1998, tales were told by surviving Antarctic scientists, their research base was devastated by the most terrifying, most formidable, most powerful monster of all, the great and mighty Maguma.
4: Look at this man. I wish I could make him meow on command.
3: (laughs) Can't you? Wasn't there like a a thing where like you used to say something to him and he would meow? If
4: if he's just like walking. Oh, just like I dropped my phone. (laughs) If he's just like walking ahead of me and I like say something to him, he'll meow. Or if I don't even say something to him, most of the time he'll just meow at me. But he was just sitting there.
3: So I miss Ruby, though. Me too.
4: I'm just stating the facts
3: that you just want to show off your cool Dracula shirt.
4: He's a little heavy. And he's hard to support uh, in a way that doesn't make him slide right off my legs. Like me. <laughs> yeah, it's really di- difficult uh, when Parker sits on my lap.
3: Yeah.
4: <laughs> <laughs> James on our like Discord thing. What? Damn it, I dropped my phone. Sorry. I thought I was muted. <laughs> the finale of Godzilla Rulers of Earth that IDW comic, I keep dropping my phone. You know what's funny? The fact that Mothra is the only one that gets an excuse in that movie, she's in larval form, but we didn't see her die the last time she showed up when she was in her imago form. So it's kind of funny that the one time a monster gets an excuse for why it's reborn, we don't actually see it die on
3: screen. Did they actually say that though in Destroy Monsters? I don't remember them ever actually specifying like why it was the larva instead of the, the monster. No,
4: they didn't specify, but one can assume that. Well, since yeah. the Imago's not like, there, and there's a lot. Oh of my dead. god! Well, bless so you. Sorry. <laughs> I'm
3: so sorry. Injecting <laughs> okay. yourself out of your seat. I'm so sorry. I came completely out of nowhere. I got felt it coming, and I was like, "Oh, I should get to the mute." And it was just like, "Duh, done." I dropped my phone a fourth time. What I was gonna say too is that the, you, your, your mom, your main. What I was going to say is that
0: I'm ready to sign off. <laughs> yes, let's let's get to bed. My goodness. Uh, there's a reason, I guess, we don't usually start at 745.
1: Yeah. It's going to be 745 here in three minutes.
2: James, so help me. <laughs> James, I will find a way to make that fucking giant... Gooball, <laughs> real and f-ing infect you, I swear to God. Holy crap. Yikes. And then I'll find a way to crawl inside you. Even though the science doesn't make sense. Okay, let's do the sign off, please. <laughs>